comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. And this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, who is alone with no Abe. Abe is not with us for this special bonus episode, which we are going to be doing. It is a commentary for the first Spider-Man film, the Sam Raimi 2002 Spider-Man film starring Tobey Maguire. And um, yeah, I figured, why not? We got a new Spider-Man movie coming out. This is the shortest of the Spider-Man movies. Might as well do something for it. And uh, joining myself to uh to do a spider-man commentary we have writer for huffington post and mendelson memos the man who could spin a web any size scott mendelson thank you very much for having me always a pleasure sure and of course co-host of legion of dudes and the walking dead tv podcast and a practitioner of exhibiting great responsibility with his great and powerful voice jim beats why thank you <laughs> for sure um we doing we doing good tonight we ready for this Yes. Okay. Um, really, no announcements. I guess I can say iTunes reviews and ratings. Always good to get those. That'd be great. Um, as always, this is, these are pretty pretty loose commentaries, and I, I I'm glad for anyone that decides to listen to all these all the way through. I know some a lot of people. Some people tend to listen to these without even watching the movie. So good on you for that one, I guess. And uh, yeah, feel you know. I hope you enjoy what we're about to do. As always, I'll try to fill any gaps with just random trivia from IMDb. And um, there might be a contest. I might have, I might do that again. We did that with Alien vs. Predator, which kind of worked out. So there might be like a secret phrase that I'll say at some point during this. And whoever emails me first at outnowpodcast at gmail.com will get something in the mail. Probably Spider-Man or Marvel-related. Long sentence. This would be a lot less painful of a contest to enter than the one for Alien vs. Predator, though. Yeah. I must say, movie's a couple notches above that. Yeah, this was a little better than Alien vs. Predator Requiem. And good on you for, um, who won? I can't, I don't have my iPad in front of me. I can't figure who won the contest, but that person, he, he was watching Alien vs. Predator on TV and, and synced up our commentary while doing that. So that, that was, that must have been quite the effort. So congratulations again wow. for that one. I know. So. And amazingly, you synced up with all the commercials too. Right. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's get this thing going. I'm gonna count. I'm gonna count down from three. I'm gonna go three, two, one, go, and then uh, and on go. As I'm saying go, that's when we all press play. All right. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. All right. So we should all be Six, seven. Yeah. Eight. Yep. Nine. Yep. Okay. And if there was sound on this, you'd be hearing the opening bars to the Danny Elfman theme, the sort of a do 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 do, and it always gives me chills because it takes me back to 2002 opening night, and I can't entirely put my finger on it, but there was something incredibly exciting about sitting in a theater on opening night, finally seeing a Spider-Man movie. For as long as I had been alive, or conscience, I guess, <laughs> there had been you know legal wranglings over trying to make a Spider-Man movie because somebody owned the rights to the character, somebody owned the rights to the comic, somebody owned the rights to the cartoon, and so forth. For the, you know, James Cameron was going to make a Spider-Man movie in the early 90s. Michael Bean. When, 
with Michael Bean when Fox had the rights. And then, you know, it was just so it was almost, you know, I don't want to say too good to be true because that sounds too cheesy, but it was genuinely thrilling hearing this great Danny Elfman theme. And it really is a terrific piece of music. You like, you like the uh, theme. I love it. I know not everybody does, but I, I think it's a terrific score. Uh, it's his last classical superhero score. And there was just something, frankly, spine tingling about, holy crap, I'm finally seeing a Spider-Man movie. I, and, and it's good so far. I, I, yeah, I, I do appreciate that it's a memorable theme. Like when I hear it, I know Spider-Man from it. I, uh, I like the, I like it, it kind of upped it for Spider-Man 2 for being kind of, kind of added an orchestral backing to it, which I appreciated more. So I never, I, I like that. Now, was this, oh. Go, 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 Jim. Uh, I'm sorry, I wanted to ask, is this the first movie that used that Marvel, uh, flip book type opening? I believe. Uh, n- n- no, I believe it was Blade 2 was the first, which came out several months prior. Was it Blade 2 or was it, was it, um... It wasn't X Men though, no, because X Men that was like no. just starting out with. Yeah, so yeah, I think it was. Uh, that came out in March two thousand two, so it was about two months before this movie came out. I agree with this. Scott. I mean, when as a kid, I remember the really dreadful Nicholas Hammond uh, Spider Man television show, <laughs> and to go from that to this in my lifetime is it was just a wonderment. And I also saw that opening night and just was overwhelmed by the feeling of holy crap I'm finally seeing a, a big screen Spider-Man movie after all these years yeah I mean it really I mean it it, it can't be replicated try as they might a week from t- you know a week from today um, you know I, I, you, you just can't you know you just can't top your first time um, <laughs> and I, I do like this opening credit sequence and it, it is clear at least from a from the, the credits at least that they're trying to emulate Batman. I mean, you have a Danny Elfman theme. You have the sort of the very slow, almost creepy build up to the final theme, and then you have an opening credit sequence that, of course, is it stands on its own. And then only after it's over, and it's over now, so to finish, do we cut to the actual movie? Um, and then here we go. Are you sure I am? Do you sure you want to know? Of course we do. We're watching the movie, but thank you for for asking. <laughs> and here we go with the uh, Toby to- to- McGuire putting in his putting his two cents on the narration that opens every film. <laughs> it's Charlotte from Charlotte's Web in a well-received cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Stan Lee, eat your heart out. And there is Kristen Dunst with a wig. Yep. Uh, that was, of course, not her natural hair. Ironically, I think, for what it's worth, I like her hair best in this film than in the two sequels. Um, I agreed, yes. Means nothing, but... Um, and then, of course, we have the classic... Okay, I'm not going to describe what's happening on Freeman, I'm sure you've all seen this. Uh, yeah, to, uh, okay, so we got Tobey Maguire here. When you, going going off of, like, Tobey Maguire in this film, first, not thinking about, you know, what he's done since then, or just the, focusing on what he's done before, do you like, to, do you guys like to, Tobey Maguire as the choice for Peter Parker? Yes. Uh, I think it was a perfectly fine choice. Um... I had I had seen him in the stuff most of us have seen him in. Uh, Pleasantville, you know, the Cider House Rules. Yeah, the Cider House Rules. Uh, Wonder Boys. Pleasantville, Pleasantville, Pleasantville was the one that yeah. comes to mind. Uh, and and you know it was an inspired choice in that you know Wonder Boys, Wonder Boys, which I think somebody just said. Yeah, I said I, Wonder I, Boys. I, yeah. I apologize. That's where I first noticed him in terms of you know I like Pleasantville. I, I wasn't a huge fan. I appreciate I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it. Uh, what I what I like about these opening scenes is that. You know, unlike, for example, Batman, and I love Burton's Batman, this is very obviously set in a real city. They, they shot, they 
in theory, shot this in New York, and it looks like they shot it in New York. The the color is incredibly bright and vivid, and it's, it's a very colorful film. And I think to a certain extent, that was one of the reasons for its success, among many other reasons. At the end of the day, there is, you know, people do like big, colorful blockbusters. You know, unless you're, you know, there is a disadvantage when you basically have a giant shades of gray. And now I'm going to stop talking because uh, William, William Defoe just showed up on screen. Let me, let me, before we get, because I, there's a lot of things I like. There's so much to talk about for Spider-Man, but I want to ask Jim real quick. Do you like Tobey Maguire in the in the role of Peter Parker? I thought I thought he was okay. I thought he lacked like a certain um, humor as Spider-Man. Like I, I something I see about Andrew Garfield in the, the trailers from the new film is that he, uh, as Spider-Man, he really has that kind of quippy kind of humor as Spider-Man. I mean, Peter Parker gets cut loose. Spider-Man, that's really when he gets to be himself, as it were. I thought Toby was great as far as you know, the, the science nerd and kind of stepped on uh, aspects of, of Peter, but I thought he kind of missed out on some of the more humorous notes of Spider-Man. But other than that, I thought he was a fine choice. And you know, James Franco, Sarah Osborne, and, and I always love him to follow pretty much everything he said. William Defoe, in, in my opinion, A, he's one of the best on-screen cinematic villains in comic book film history. Uh, B, I think his performance is probably the best thing in this film, in my opinion. When he's out of costume, I think he's ridiculous as the Green Goblin, but we'll get to that. Yeah, know, we can get to that 45 later. 45 minutes from now. But, yeah, but him, and I, I think love that. Scott's point was really well proven in Avengers that people do want bright, colorful, yes. you know, over-the-top blockbuster side, you know, superhero movie. It doesn't always have to be a Christopher Nolan, Dark Storm, Dragon kind of thing. I mean, like I said, well, I, I, think there's, I think there's a misconception about the Nolan films that they're yes, they are dark in terms of thematic materials, but they're still very bright, you know, colorful films. I mean, the Joker's jacket is a really bright purple. You know, when there are colors, they pop. It's not just like somebody puked on the filter, you know, on the filter and shot it in you know puke gray, like a lot of would-be blockbusters. You know, something like Van Helsing or uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. You know, I think that the would-be blockbusters that think that oh, Nolan's films are great because they're dark and gritty. No, they're good because they're good. You know, they're dark and gritty because that's what's appropriate for the material. But I think it does, I think it stands to, to reason that th- these Spider-Man films and like Fantastic Four, like some, and like the X-Men films, they feel like a Marvel film while the DC films tend to feel like DC films where they, these, these, like, I feel like I know Spider-Man films from a visual standpoint because they're kind of, they're brighter, they're poppier, like Avengers too. Like they're, they do feel like a, there's a, a more clear color palette that you can a primary color palette that you could recognize while as the Batman films, they do. I mean, yes, they're dark. It's dark subject matter, but they also, yes, there are, there's certainly colors in them, but they do feel like there's a certain coldness to the visual visual aesthetic to them. Yes. I I would agree with that. Um, which is why a problem with like green lantern where it tried to, I guess, have it both ways. And I think kind of failed in that matter. Like I did. Yeah. It, it, it tried to sort of blend the, "Quote unquote." Well, it basically it wanted to be Iron Man, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the most successful thing about the movie Green Lantern is you know when it tried to be somewhat realistic and real world. I think the weakest stuff is the stuff where it goes off into outer space for a variety of reasons. But we're not here to talk about Green Lantern. Yeah. Um, I could talk all day about that one too. Um, but. Now, even right here, you know, what I love about this film is that it really takes the time to develop all four of its, all five of its main characters, Peter, Harry, Norman, Mary Jane, and Aunt May. Um, they all are flesh and blood human beings who have their own stories, and they're not supporting characters in their own lives. 
I, and I think when the film came out, it almost felt like a revelation. It was this giant, big, you know, mega blockbuster that basically was a character piece. It's very because it's very relatable. Yeah, you have these, yes. you have core characters, and they all have various aspects that you can kind of, you can see yourself in. That's kind of that's like that's why people like Spider Man in general. I think just because he's such a he's Peter Parker. He's just a he's just a yeah. dorky kid from Queens that you know managed to turn into something super, but still has that. I'm gee whiz, guys. I'm Peter Parker. <laughs> like. And, and and something Jim said a minute ago, I don't disagree that he's not the world's greatest Spider-Man. But, he's, you know, and Raimi even mentioned this, you, you know, he cast him for Peter Parker. And I think that's why this movie works. That's why the series works to the extent it does, you know, the extent of it does, is that he is a wonderful Peter Parker. Uh, I think, I didn't mean to go back to Green Lantern again, but I think Green Lantern fails to the extent that it fails because they cast Green Lantern, not Hal Jordan. Let's, uh, real quick, I just want to watch Kirsten Dunst make dorky poses, because it's kind of funny. Yes, right. it's also very cute. Yeah. This um, is in that early stage, right? For some reason, and I think I, I talked about this before in a different podcast, I think probably around Melancholia, but, um, for some reason, Kirsten Dunst comes, like, in re- recent years, she comes off to me as a person that probably isn't too likable, but for some reason, I, li- I like her in this movie. Every, after, well, it is... I don't know why I don't know why that is. I have no I have no reason to think ill of Kirsten Dunst, but for some reason, Spider Man, Spider Man, and pre- before that, I kind of like. Yeah, I like Kirsten Dunst, but after that, it, I don't know why. I just get this feeling that she's not, not like the greatest person to be around. And what I like about you know even this scene, you know, this is the key spider biting scene. Is you know he just happens to be in the lab. He's taking pictures. Hey, look, the spider bit him. There's no. It was chosen by destiny. He's not the chosen one. It's not all set for him years in advance because of, you know, person A versus person B. And it's, it's, it keeps the everyman quality. Yeah, he was just, uh, um, he was just ogling this girl he had a crush on. And then suddenly yes. a spider bites him. <laughs> and yeah, I think this the is. Best, uh, the best hero movies don't bog themselves down in the origin story. Um, I think that's really what I really enjoyed about the Ed Norton and Incredible Hulk movie is they get the origin story away in the credit sequence. And this, I mean, like you say, Scott, the, the origin is, is, you know, it's believable. It happens and it only takes like about five or ten minutes of screen time. In, in Green Lantern, it, go back, back to your example, the almost the entire first half of that movie, the first hour of that movie was all about him, uh, you know, getting his powers, going to this giant CGI set in outer space, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of these um, genre movies tend to founder sometimes in the origin story. Well, I think one of the reasons this film works is that, yeah, it's technically an origin story, but it's not so much, here's how Spider-Man began, so much as, here's a story about a kid named Peter Parker who got bitten by a spider and, through somewhat fault of his own, got his uncle killed, and here's how he dealt with that trauma, and here's what happened as a result of his decision. It's it's a character-driven story that happens to tell the first Spider-Man story. It's not... Here is you know you know Spider Man's origin story, um, and I think that's oh, you know. I agree. Remy was really good about building the characters as the movie goes through. I totally agree with you. And I I love this scene again. Norman Osborn is completely sympathetic. He's intelligent. He's thoughtful. He tries to be a nice guy. He tries to be a good father, and that carries throughout the entirety of the film, which of course makes his arc somewhat tragic. And there's a scene coming very late in the game, and I'll bring it up when it comes up that exists for no other reason other than to give his character and and Harry's character one last uh, bit of character development. And I'll come to it when I'll talk about it when it comes. It's probably my favorite scene in the film because it is purely a character development scene. It doesn't have to be there, but it's just good drama. 
and welcome Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Cliff Robertson is in this movie for what, maybe ten minutes at most, and yes. I think he's fantastic in this in the role of Uncle Ben. He's such a he such brings a warm presence to this movie and just gives Peter just what he needs. To, it, he he gives exactly what Uncle Ben needs in a short amount of time, and you know Peter the motivation to do what he does. It's among other reasons. It's, it's a situation where the casting does most of the work. Yeah, and I hope that uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know how long Uncle Ben's around in you know the upcoming Spider-Man with Martin Sheen, but uh, we'll we'll see. I, I'll have to see if Uncle Ben in that version pulls a Jebediah Bartlett and tells him with great power comes respect, great responsibility in Latin. Yeah. And then throws a cigarette in the floor and stops on it. Um, this is kind of interesting. He's like a 65, 70-year-old man who's looking for a job. Uh, today, that would be timely. But 10 years ago, eh, Enron had just gone bubble up. But, you know. Uh, oh, this would be, because this, I mean, this was before 9-11, technically, when this was filmed and all that. Yes, when it was filmed, yes. Yeah. But, of course, it came out six months afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and we can debate how much of it. You know, I don't like to entirely contribute the film's success to 9-11, but I think it helped. I think it pushed it over the top to make, you know, because it really was the first, you know, big-scale American entertainment that sort of, you know, was made in hindsight, or at least edited in the hindsight of 9-11. Um, I think for better or worse, it, it, it was comfort food to a certain extent. I actually think the quote-unquote 9-11 scene in this film toward the end is probably the worst, one of the worst scenes in the film. Yeah, I agree. But... <laughs> It also it was there before 9/11 happened, so it's just it, it was a situation where it would have been dumb anyway, but it felt stupider because you knew why it was there. Um, so the yeah, that's among a handful of things that I find iffy about this. Like because I I I do I this isn't my favorite of the of the three films. I I do like Spider-Man two quite a bit, and I also I I like this film about as much as I like Spider-Man three, which is a whole nother debate. But um. Although I have, I have issues with Spider-Man three that are warranted, but um, I think what's what I what I get I guess I'm getting to is that I what I like about this series, what Raimi's done with this series, is that it always feels like it it's it it it, it works well with de developing these characters, having good character relationships established, but it also feels it just feels like a fun comic book movie, like all all of them. Yeah. Um, no, this is actually my favorite of the series, um, by a decent margin. Mm -hmm. I. My issue with Spider-Man 2, and I don't want to get too into Spider-Man 2, is that I found it very difficult to relate to Peter Parker when the whole time he's whining about, you know, Mary Jane who won't love him even though he dumps her at the end of this film. You know, but we'll talk about, you know, I don't like the ending of this film at all. And yeah. it takes an entire second film to clean up the mess that was left behind a bad ending for this one. Um, I like this scene that he doesn't really, you know... There's no big dramatic, it's alive, it's alive. He just takes the medicine, throws it on the floor. I like right here, right here. Throws the it's, switch. It's, oh, it's cold. <laughs> it's just yeah, that's a great, that's little... a great line. Um, no, that is, that is, a, and of course, I'm sure you guys know, there's a huge blooper coming up here. Uh, he will eventually, you know, become Green Goblin. He'll jump out of the window, kill this guy. And then the next time we see him, he's on the floor of his office wearing a shirt. Uh, so how'd he get there and why'd he put on a shirt? Um, it was cold. Yeah, it was cold. We, he's established. It was, it's already established <laughs> in the movie. It was, Sam Raimi knows no no flaws. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure the man who created three different versions of the first Evil Dead movie knows a little thing about continuity. <laughs> he, I'll just assume he he took the take he liked regardless. <laughs> um, 
And coming up here is the first death in the film. Um, you know, he, as you all know, he, uh, Osborne wakes up, basically grabs this guy and throws him through a bunch of science equipment. Um, I like how violent this film is. There was a small amount of quote unquote controversy when it came out. Uh, but a lot of that was again, you know, in the hindsight of nine 11, you know, somehow green goblin throwing pumpkin bombs and blowing up buildings. is somehow going to scare children. Well, good. It's a PG 13 film. It should scare children. Um, you know, this was 10 years after Batman Returns, which... One of the most violent you know, PG-13 yes. films, let alone superhero films, are probably ever yes. came <laughs> And, of course, it caused a huge firestorm of controversy, which led to somewhat of a toning down in terms of the, vi you know, hard violence found in PG-13 films. And, while the, and, and there is quite a bit of hard violence in this film. There is blood. There are punches that hurt. People die. There is... <laughs> people die on screen, starting with this guy. That's a great superhero pose or supervillain pose. It's ridiculous, but why not? I think it works because um, Willem Dafoe's face is amazing. It's just yes, it, it does. What and it you know, it, as much as I love Jack Nicholson, Mark Hamill, Heath Ledger, odd. I, I it's sad that we'll never see him play the Joker because he looks exactly like the Joker. And actually, he would have made the, a great Joker. Absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. And in the original Sam Ham script for Batman. When in the first version, the Joker was about the same age as Batman and William Defoe was one of the people they were looking at. It was just once they decided to try to get Jack Nicholson and he agreed, they obviously made him an older character and the rest is history. I love Toby realizing his body. It's, it's... <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's a little different from the, and this was a month later, the Matt Damon, wow, I could beat people up thing, you know, in the Born Identity. Yeah. Yes, that also came out 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 2002 was a pretty good summer. Yeah. Um, you had this, you had Attack of the Clones, you had Born Identity, you had Signs, um, Ray, and even a lot, I believe, you know, I believe Reign of Fire came out that, that yes, summer. Fire, uh, you know, Insomnia, Peter, Put, Peter Parker, Peeping Tom. So if we want to, yeah, really, Windows right there, huh? If we really want to go into how, how deep the Batman versus Spider-Man thing goes back, Christian Bale versus Tobey Maguire happened that summer as well. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> And Tobey Maguire won. Um, yeah, I got nothing for this part. Well, Aunt May seems to have prepared a nice breakfast. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, she he, she made it, but of course Peter was thinking Peter really Aunt May just slaved away at the kitchen, thinking that Peter was sick and like was wanting a nice healthy breakfast in the morning. But he looked like he, you know he just kind of left through. Anyway, let's get back to the abusive parenting going on in the house next door. And again, I like that they, you know, they made that very clear without wallowing in melodrama. And they, they apparently both Aunt May and Uncle Ben can af can afford the same kind of house that Mary Jane's drunken father can. Yes. And apparently, you know, apparently Peter Parker's the only one that notices this, you know, very abusive relationship that takes place in, a, you know, broad daylight. Yeah, um, really. <laughs> and it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it's, and this may or may not be a criticism, one of the things I like about, at least in the first movie, Mary Jane is not the most upstanding of characters in this film. She basically cheats on every boyfriend she has. And it could be argued that the only reason she ends up liking Peter Parker is because she's he's the first guy not to treat her like a piece of ass. Excuse me. One, That's fine. Two, you could... Like a piece of meat. We, Scott, um, we, don't, we don't edit. The, we, don't, we just bleep it out, so it doesn't matter. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, you know, he's really, you know, in a, in a way she is the... And the woman, she's the Daisy from The Great Gatsby of this series. <laughs> you know, she is 
you know, a better creature in theory than in practice. And I guess that was one of the issues I had with Spider-Man 2 is that, you know, he was surrounded by other women who arguably were better for him. Whether it was, you know, uh, Elizabeth Banks or even the, the Russian landlady, landlord's daughter, whose name escapes me. Choc- chocolate chip uh, cookie girl. That's what I- yes. Uh, a very there he is. There he is. Shirt on. You're absolutely correct. Look, yes. I mean, how is that? Can't, you think I was making that up? That's, that can't be a goof, though. I mean, he he had to go from the lab to his giant mansion back at home. I mean, he, he probably, I don't know why he has a tie on, but maybe, I guess he wanted to look after he did all his murdering. And then he passed out again. He did all his murdering and hilarious, you know, sinister <laughs> smiling. He obviously is like, oh, well, well, now I have to. He probably went out and got a drink, you know, as you do. Probably, maybe he picked up a woman. Maybe he picked up some women on his way home from the... And while he was doing that, had James <laughs> James Franco did three movies, wrote two books, appeared in two award shows, and went to college. And, and Norman, Osborne had, you know, he had some rage sex and some modernist people, and then he put on his suit and tie and came back home and passed out. It's sad to say this, but William Defoe looks young in this film. He does, actually. I mean, he's not young, but compared to today, he looks young in this film. Um, it's annoying to me how much hatred Peter Parker gets bullied or how, how much he receives in this school setting. Everyone picks on him, it seems, except for except for Mary Jane and, and, and Harry. No one notices this, by the way. No one, yeah, no, no, no one, one sees that. No one notices any of the various school stunts he does. No one realizes how it, amazing you know, that is. <laughs> yes. Um, he went from really, really skinny to a big buff guy, or they stopped wearing glasses, or they looks like he's a foot taller than he did at the beginning of the movie. Nobody knows anything. But and that's, I mean, that's just that's the the comic-y vibe for this movie. That's why I like a lot. I like a lot of Raimi's direction in this, just in terms of it's not it's not treated with you know it's not treated with too seriously. But there's you know in terms of like the tone of the film. But there's a you know despite despite building these characters, you still have this kind of comic vibe to it that it's fitting. It it, it works. It it respects the reality of its own story and the drama of its own story, but it's not afraid to be a little silly when the material demands it. Which is something that Sam Raimi's can be quite good at yeah. in certain films, such um, as Army of Darkness or of course Kevin Costner's For Love of the Game. <laughs> Uh, and then there's, of course, I don't know what it is, but Flash Thompson always looks look kind of weird in this movie. Like, is he too old to be in high school? Is that what it is? Yeah, it looks like they wanted to get uh, Zachary Ty Bryan from Home Improvement, and they got this guy instead. That's the that's the oldest. Uh, and nobody sees the webbing. Yeah, no, no one really. No cares. one, co- no one collects the webbing after the fact. Uh, now you know, ten years later, can we can we now say what a not a big deal organic web shooters really were? I dislike them. It doesn't, Fair it doesn't ruin the film experience for me, but it was something at that time. And I watched this because what was I? God, do I need to go into my age at this? But I was at a I was at an age where I really liked Spider Man and I was really into the character. And I was, how old were you? Okay, I I well, what would I have been? I would be fifteen. Oh my God, you're a child. <laughs> fifteen or yeah, fifteen when Spider when Spider Man came out, which was actually probably around my birthday huh. because my birthday is May eighth, and Spider Man probably would have came out like the seventh. May second, third. May second, third, something like that. I, I can look it up for yeah, a second. I, I know it was that it was that first weekend, yeah. of course. Yes. Most of these Marvel films do, or these, you know, big tentpole Marvel films do. And this was the first to do that. And since uh, it's been almost every summer since then, with a few exceptions, uh, 2005, 2004, 2006, I think every other one has been a Marvel film. Yeah, and I generally look forward to that because that means it's like it's yeah. my birthday movie for the, the to, uh, kick, uh, to uh, kick off the summer season until, you know, Fast and Furious movies start doing it a little bit earlier. But and again, and, nobody and notices. Now for, now yeah, no one, no one notices these back. Sorry. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's not easy to do. Incredibly ancient for the day. Next. Nobody notices that. Sorry, sorry, Jim. We're aging. <laughs> what was I saying? Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and they still hate him. That's the best part. Yeah, like, yeah. Like we hate, we hate you even more now, Parker. <laughs> There's that random that's one of the that random extra behind Kirsten Dunst is in a lot of things. Just pointing that out. He's that kid right there. To the left. He's, <laughs> he's all like all over the place. I always see that guy. <laughs> now that's one of the things I liked about Chronicle you know, if I may diverse, is when the outcast starts doing cool stuff, people think it's neat. Uh, it does, in fact, win him friends and, you know, whatever. Like, wow, that's neat that he can do that. I'm going, you know, I'm not going to make fun of him anymore. Yeah, I really like... Uh, and and Powder, to a certain extent, you know, for the first two-thirds or whatever, wow, that's neat. He can heal animals or whatever. I don't remember. It's been a while. He, he can do that and magnetize spoons and forks and stuff. Yes. Um, here we go. Here's some... I like I like this... I like him learning his power. It's kind of yes. stuff right here with him climbing the wall. And I like the, and, there's the, the the practical filmmaking involved in it, too. Not you know. And I think this sequence, this this montage or whatever it is, is so good that it's kind of ruined every other origin story that's come in the last 10 years. Because they're all trying to a certain extent to replicate this sense of discovery that was so, so done so well here that, you know, it's not appropriate for something like Green Lantern, for example. You know, where ooh, I have to learn that I can do all these cool things. Wow. Uh, but no, this is terrific. Uh, I love that. Yeah, obviously it's a little CGI-ish, it, but well, in the close-ups it looks real. In the close-ups it looks, yeah. But it, that was and there's a, even even in 2002, even at the date it was. I st I was always kind of kind of yeah. miffed on the the use of effect. like I know like Ebert I think was is a good example. He 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 didn't he gave this film a negative review because of the effects made Spider-Man too bouncy. I think that was like his main criticism of the film. Like I think he. Uh. Yeah, he was he, he sort of where where Jim came from. He did not like Spider-Man nearly as much as Peter Parker, and to him that was a flaw. Which fair enough. At least he didn't give away the ending. <laughs> um, I didn't like Spider-Man, which ends with the Green Goblin being killed. Um, whoops. Uh, this is a nice, a lovely scene, yeah. and and all the nerds in the audience laugh when he says Shazam. Yeah. But yeah, the um, the okay. So I think we, we we talked about organic web shooters for a second, and then I got sidetracked. The by all means, the organic web shooters thing. It was something at the time that did bug me. Like I was kind of like, eh, I why I, I can see why it wasn't done, just because well that takes you know that takes care of like a whole other aspect of now we have to show him building these things and why he's super smart about it. And this is a it's a nice easy shortcut, but it just kind of felt like cheating in a way, I guess, at the time to a young. That's not, that's not a really good joke later on though, actually. Uh, the web on the ceiling joke, I guess. Uh, and that was, for me, like probably the only real reason I could see that he went with organic web computers. So, you know, <laughs> the, the humor to it, you know. I mean, again, you're right. I don't need to explain how he could, you know, how a poor kid from Queens could have been able to make some sort of technology like that. And I could see this being, you know, kind of shorthand in the movie. But other than setting up a joke, I really didn't see the reason for it. Was this um, in the, was it in the James Cameron version? I, I think I read that once. Like James, that was... I believe so. Uh, but I mean, James Cameron version also had him killing people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I, I bought, you know, Sam Raimi basically said he has organic web shooters because it adds to his outcast nature and that, okay, fine. It makes sense to me. That's fine. Whatever. It's um, weird that the organic web shooters come from places that aren't orifices from his body already. And just that hurts. too. <laughs> if, if I recall, if it was a real spider, they come out of his butt. 
but I'm not a which is, biologist. Which there is a hilarious Venture Brothers joke that plays oh. plays this aspect. Jim, do you watch Venture I Brothers? I really. Sh- I do. I was just gonna say that that role was played by Nathan Fillion, the Brown Widow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's a pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's part of Webb's. The even a uh, clip from the old 1966 Spider-Man cartoon shooting enough webs that your cars are stuck and stuff. Uh, but Nathan Fillion played the role of the brown, the brown widow in that episode, and yeah, the web shot of his uh, posterior. Right? Just have to edit out. And here we have, you know, the the first real conversation with with Mary Jane and Peter Parker, and I like that 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 their relationship actually. You know, they have a relationship. They talk to each other. They have conversations. It's not just, I'm pretty, you're pretty. I like you. Let's get together in the last 10 minutes of the film. And at, at the same time, the dialogue, it never it's never too overly like stated out. It's never too overwritten. It feels like I could read this in a bubble in a comic book. It, feel, it yeah, maintains that it's, tone. It's, it's awkward. It's appropriately awkward. Um, none of these, you know, neither of these characters are particularly eloquent. Obviously, you know, Peter's very shy, so that makes sense. But even her, you know, she, she, you know, one of the things I, I like about this movie is, yes, she's the quote-unquote dream girl, but she has her own, you know, she's damaged goods in her own way. I don't want that to come out the wrong way. But, you know, she has her own problems. She has her own self-esteem issues. Clearly, yeah. And as I said, I would theorize that, that, and this is fine for the movie, I think it runs into trouble in the sequels, that really the only reason she likes him at the end is because he's the first person that treats her nice. You know, she's got an abusive father. She's got a boyfriend that treats her like garbage, you know, and then she ends up dating Harry Osborne who treats her like a, you know, a trophy wife or, you know, a, a, an arm decoration. And, you know, even Norman Osborne acknowledges that basically to most people, she's a, you know, a sex object. And, you know, of all the men in her life, Peter Parker is the first and only person to treat her as a human being. Now, you guys have daughters. Are you going to let her walk around with something like this, where she's showing midriff but also wearing a, a big coat over? Ah, uh, well, there's the <laughs> she coat. has the coat, I guess. She won't be cold. <laughs> I I shudder to think what the fashions will be like when my kid's 15, 16. Uh, I agree. Any, um, I it's it's and the unfortunate thing isn't that oh you know kids are dressing like that blah blah blah. The unfortunate thing is that's the majority style once they get to be a certain age. That it's actually more challenging to not find "quote unquote" revealing clothing than it is to find, you know, long sleeve shirts and long pants. Um, you know, it's it's a cultural thing, and it's 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 whatever. I'm not gonna talk. You know, I'm not gonna spend the whole commentary. I'm gonna address my kid. But no, it's it's a valid question. It's something that that sort of is in the back of my mind. What's I think? Um, Flash has something he says right here that makes me laugh. What is it? Say something about this car. She's so vain, or not vain. She's so superficial. What a cool car! There it is. Don't don't scratch the leather. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> he just he's such a such a dick to her. And I love how Peter Parker always learns the wrong lesson in these films. Yeah, right. <laughs> he has this wonderful conversation with Mary Jane, and he you know she says one comment about the car. He's like, I've got to get a car. And in the second film, you know, he's got this wonderful conversation with uh, Doctor Octavius and his wife. You know, they're talking about science and literature and. You know, and what does he get from that? I should learn poetry and read it to Mary Jane. Love, like, no, no. I love that. That's a long lesson. He found, he find, You're an idiot. He finds this amazing car for like $3,000 and on the same page, there's a wrestling contest for $3,000. It's just like, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. 
I'm amazed this. I, I like this. I like this montage scene here. I'm sorry to break in. I really like this montage scene here, where he's like trying to come up with, you know, his costume, his symbol, you know, utility belt question mark. You know, uh, I I, I kind of got the scene when I saw it the first time. And I do like, you know, he draws the final drawings, but then you know you see his obvious first costume reveal, and it's anything but that, and it's yeah, it's entertaining. We get it. He's fantasizing about Mary Jane. Stop doing that. And the scores kicked in here too, so that's yes. pretty. Um, that actually looks more like the new costume than the than the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he had a, he had a, he had an idea, and you know he, he did what he could. Doctor Pepper plug. Product placement. Settle. <laughs> um. Is that the only product pl- blatant product plug in this movie? No, no, it's not. <laughs> we'll get I, to I, others. I, Don't worry. But even when I, you know, an opening night, everybody sort of giggled at that because it was just so obvious. There's a lot during the the big parade of Macy Gray. Puberty parable symbolism. Thank you. What's what's going on in there? <laughs> uh, nothing. Nothing. Wow, that was a great dream. How did he, how did he get from his chair to the door that quickly with all this web symbol? Apparently, Norman Osbert sleeps in his curtains. <laughs> Eddie apparently learns about the death of his, you know, the doom of his company through the paper. Weeks later. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know if this entire mansion is the same, but there's a scene where Norman Osborn talks to his son toward the very end of the film. It's actually the scene that I talked about that's my favorite in the movie. That's the same set that was part of Wayne Manor in the first Batman. Huh. Oh, something I oh. recently found out, and just because I'm probably going to forget it when it happens again, the butler character for the the Osbournes, ex- yeah. exposition button, butler character from Spider-Man 3, <laughs> he, uh, he, is, he is Bill Paxton's father. I forgot that. <laughs> I love how he does the whole, ha ha. Is this the famous car? Yes, this is the famous Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi, you okay. know, Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile, yep. right. Coming be- before we get to the, the, the patented Bruce Campbell cameo. <laughs> I'm actually amazed that the film actually got away with having a wrestling contest in this otherwise relatively real-world environment. Because even when I was a kid, that was the one part of his origin that just, that's just goofy. I like that they, they managed to stick with that aspect for, yeah. for, for this I'm, film. I'm amazed they got away with it. It, it is, you know, it, it, it works. It's weird. And it's surprising that it works. It's weird that, yeah, among the things they changed, they're like, no, we have to have the wrestling sequence in here. <laughs> I, I feel like that's something that Sam Raimi, like, probably, like, stuck up for. Like, in, like, in, yeah, like David, probably. him and David Kep, like, got together, like, we need to have the wrestling scene. <laughs> I like this line. This line is actually more profound than the, you know, with great power comes responsibility thing. Um, Agreed, and I, yeah, Cliff Roberts sells yeah. it really well. It's, yeah, that that line always struck me as I love how he knows Flash Thompson's name. How? The, the, because clearly they were best friends when they were young children. Yeah, that's not only does he know Thompson, he knows his nickname. Yeah. You know, it makes sense if he called him, you know, Bob Thompson, and his, <laughs> you know, his nickname is supposed Flash. But no, no, he knows his nickname. Ah, uh, da da da, <laughs> yellow highlighter. Um. I had a thought, but I lost it. Well, so. let's, I'm going to focus on how sad it is that these are the last words that Peter Parker says to his uncle right now. Yes. It's really sad. But, you know, it's, 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 I love the scene where he basically confesses to Aunt May about what he said. You know, it's about, you know, 20 minutes from now, give or take, uh, 15 minutes from now. Because uh, there is the, again, I love, I love there are so many scenes in this film that are just, it's a character drama. It's two, two, three people having, you know, conversation, you know, uh, in-depth conversation, conversations that actually have meaning and profundities, for lack of a better word. 
You know, again, this this yes, it's a comic book action picture, but it works best as a character drama. I'd like to think that the George Lucas reworking of this film has Sandman lurking in the background, but uh... <laughs> Jim, were you going to say well, something? Well, the Sam yeah, Raimi version of this film apparently says that you know uh, Sandman did first shoot first. No, he didn't. Maybe he did. Who the hell cares? Jim, sorry. That's um, okay. I, I was just going to say that you know we keep saying how how well this how good this is as a character piece and the characters are well motivated and that motivates conversation and everything. I think uh, oh here's Bruce Campbell. Campbell. I don't, I don't want to miss that. But uh, the uh, I think you can say that for a lot of uh, you know, the real, more successful you know, quote unquote genre superhero flicks. I mean, uh, you know, the, I think the reason no one's planning works so well because the character you know the characters are so well defined in relation to each other um avengers same way they're you know, with broader strokes but i mean the characters did work together and you, you had their own function within the group and i think you know that, that, that you know if, if they miss out on that that that's really vital and, and it, it's very noticeable its absence uh in in movies like and i hate to call out again green lantern is a good example uh, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I in, a, in my opinion, in a good comic book adaptation, your favorite scene should not be an action scene. Uh, I think, to me, you know, in my mind, that's the sign of a successful comic book picture. There's um Academy Award winning actress Octavia Spencer, by the way. That's where I knew she looked familiar. I didn't. Wow. Thank you. That, and there is the late great Macho Man Randy Savage. Now we can say that Academy Award winner Octavia Spencer Academy. And Academy Award nominee Willem Dafoe and R- Randy Macho Man Savage are all in the same film together. <laughs> and I assume, I think Cliff Robertson's an Academy Award winner. Yeah, he won for Charlie yeah, yeah, yeah. in 68. I was going to say, it's a great movie, Charlie, based on Lars Um, And, you know, he, you know, the nice little bit here is he named Spider-Man, of course. Yes. Uh, when the, when Sam Raimi was announced on the project, I was sure that he was gonna, that Campbell was going to be a JJ Jamison. Yeah, I was uh, actually surprised that didn't happen. That would have been neat, but oh man, when we get to the JK, how great JK Simmons is in this <laughs> film, it's um, it's fantastic. And I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not going to see much Daily Plant, Daily Bugle stuff in the the new Amazing Spider-Man film. But I hope in the, in the sequel, Amazing or Spider-Man, that we. Uh, I, I really want J.K. Simmons to come back. I really hope they keep that going. Well, he does do the voice in the new uh, Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, good. Uh, which is mediocre, but whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> they still hate him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he is kind of pathetic looking. Yeah, he is. But it's just Parker um, can't get a break throughout this. Well, this, it's the classic throughout this Parker Throughout this series, he cannot get a break. <laughs> it's very rare that good things happen. The, the percentage of bad to good, I think, is very tilted for Peter Parker. Well, you're absolutely right. And I, 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 watching this film, yes, it's very bright and it's very colorful, but I never understood the people that thought that this film was very light. It's actually a pretty gloomy film. Pretty much all the main characters spend a good 80% of the film very, very sad at all times. <laughs> you know, I remember that, you know, the year after this, when Ang Lee's Hulk came out, and, you know, say what you will about the Hulk, but a lot of reviews were, were annoyed that, you know, they, oh, you know, it's not as dark, you know, light and happy as Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Like, are you kidding? Or same with uh, it's, a Daredevil. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you know, this movie is, it's fun, it's energetic, it's it's very colorful, but again, it's 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 a pretty somber picture in a lot of ways. You know, ba- it, it's full of bad things happening to good people. And here comes the Spider-Man gay joke. Here we go. Waiting for it. Waiting for it. 
Boom. Homophobia. And nobody noticed this. What's about to? Yeah, nobody notices that. Oh, they notice. They're just like, oh, he has props. That's nice, I guess. That should have really hurt him, but okay. He has spider strength. Fair enough. Fair enough. knows it's. Shouldn't he have spider sense at this point? Yeah, he should. He should. He should have been able to very easily got away from a chair being thrown at him, given that he could avoid Flash Thompson's heroic punches. Yes. Thunder punches. But uh, I'm pretty sure we all know that Rock Randy, the Macho Man Savage, who looks very much like Craven the Hunter, by the way, could have. Oh, you're right. He he obviously knows how to deflect spider sense. He's like he's like Jabba the Hutt or or Watto. He doesn't he doesn't doesn't follow he doesn't follow for Jedi mind tricks. I wonder if that was a setup of some kind, just in case. Craven the Hunter for Raj- yeah. Macho Man Savage? At some point, yeah. I mean, it's God knows Dylan Baker. They kept, you know, that's a, that's a tragedy right there. It is, there. yes. Um, but whatever. Him, him, I'm surprised him and Billy D. Williams have not done some kind of funny or die sketch based on that. <laughs> no, I was supposed to be the lizard, and I was supposed to be Two-Face. And then Robin Williams comes in like, I got screwed the most. <laughs> I will never be the Riddler. That's so inside in terms of the the contracts involving these actors and the characters that they could have or could have. But, <laughs> uh, but no, it reminds even... me of the book uh, Tales from Development Hell. I don't know if you guys read that or not, but it has a lot of those stories about you know, people that were cast in one thing and not used, or movies that were in development for 10 or 15 years, incredibly advanced producers made of screenwriters. Um, it's a great book if you guys haven't checked it out, Tales from Development Hell. I've heard of that book. I think I've I've read enough of those kind of situations just in various other places where I'm like I know a lot of it already, but that would be an interesting read. And again, and this is, you know, it's it's the robbery scene. It's it is what it is. But this is a pretty violent movie. One thing I noticed, you know, just watching the first time, the people point guns at civilians and beat the crap out of them while they're robbing them on several occasions. And the the movie is not shy about presenting you know, mean, vicious, violent criminals. It's funny how they like to that point. They just showed um, they showed that robber character. They they showed him from they showed a silhouette from behind the glass where he raised his hand. But then it cut to inside the glass where he actually they actually show him hit him, opposed to KP outside yeah. the the frame. So that was. <laughs> um, and <laughs> obviously we're coming upon the 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 infamous sequence. And what I love about this scene. And this, this, to me, is one of the details that makes this movie special. There's a lot of movies where wise old men or wise, you know, important characters die, and they're kind of at peace with it. You know, Batman Begins comes to mind. You know, uh, Thomas Wayne is almost okay with being shot dead in an alley. You know, he's actually coherent enough to give his kid one last piece of advice before croaking. Which is heartbreaking. The, it, <laughs> yeah, you know, it works in the sense of the film. But in this film, I love, he's shocked. He's horrified that somebody just shot him and he's crying because he knows he's going to die. He's not ready to die yet. He doesn't want to die. That's, I would argue, a far more realistic you know, a reaction to that. You know, there, there's no nobility here in his death. It's unfair. It's random and it's cruel. And, and because of that, I'd argue it, it's sadder. That's a great point. I, I now that you mention that, I'm thinking of like Obi Wan from the original Star Wars and Hope and you know, all these you know, old, old sage mentor type characters. Give me Gandalf and Lord of the Rings, you know. Yeah. So, in my um, in my written reviews, I always refer to these characters as Obi Wan characters. Ha 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 ha. and you know that's he. You know, it's funny for much as, as much as everybody makes fun of all the crying in Spider Man Three. There's plenty of crying in this film. Oh yeah, and it's all appropriate. Uh, and he cries real. You know, there's different kinds of crying, especially with men in movies. 
a lot of male actors will not really cry. They'll sort of like scrunch up a little bit and sort of, but the, the, Mel Gibson is an actor that when he cries, you can see the snot coming out of his nose. There are two key examples I have for criers, and the one I the one I used I used to use to base my like how good of a crier someone is is uh, Gladiator, Russell Crowe, full snot, full tears, crying. Yes. But now I've recently turned to um, the film Law Abiding Citizen of all films of Gerard Butler, who after his family is murdered, which is not a spoiler that happens at the beginning of the film, First he is minutes. he is all out crying in that movie, and that is yeah. that is it. It's like heartbreaking because you don't want to see fuck freaking King Leonidas bawling like a just horrible horrific like thing happened to him and so that's what I base on other films with people crying in them I, I go I think of Gerard Butler crying in a lot of my existence um, and this is of course the first major action sequence in the film I like that and I, think right one, I think one of the better ones I, I remember and again I keep going back to 10 years ago Yes, there's some CGI here, and yes, some of it's kind of apparent, but there's a certain gravity and physics to this scene that, to me, felt very real. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree, and there's something uh, something I heard in the the other com- the actual commentary by people that you know have involvement with this film. They um, what do they know? Yeah, I know, right? The there's a there's something about the cinematography that Sam Raimi wanted to be very specific where the camera's also learning to follow Peter through flights through the air. And by, you know, in this, in these sequences, it's a lot more herky jerky. It's kind of like all over the place. It's like, this is, this is happening. But by the end of the film, you get to him web slinging and it has, there's a certain confidence in the cinematography. There's a confidence in in how you see him swinging through the streets of New York. There's an extended scene and the climax when he's swinging toward the bridge uh, and I'll point it out when we get to it, that really just shows, you know, this is the end of the movie. He is Spider-Man now. He is completely confident in his web-slinging abilities. And you see that, the camera sees that, and it's a great shot. Uh, and I'll point it out when we get to it. Um, but no, I, I love the, the you know, he, he, it looks real because it's so sloppy. It looks real. I think that's part of it. it. Add, yeah, it adds to it adds to it by having it kind of having him being like, I'm not I haven't done this before. So, yeah, and exactly. I, but I'm also I have a sense of adrenaline running through me because my uncle was killed. and I need to catch this bad guy. Yes. But um, at the same time, yeah, the, the some of the effects do kind of look and not just because it's 2012. Now it's 10 years later. At that time, I remember being oh, in yes. the theater and I was kind of like. This kind of this look this doesn't look amazing for being Spider Man. It looks yeah, th- it that's looks good. <laughs> that's an interesting shot where he jumped on the car. That was actually the centerpiece of the first trailer, but in the trailer they digitally alter it so he was actually in full Spider Man costume. And there's actually a piece of that I think in one of the shots too. I think I saw the full mask regalia and not just his eyes and the and the <laughs> sock. <laughs> um, and coming up here is actually a pretty from my knowledge, a pretty major departure from the comics and most of the, you know, adaptations in which the, the robber dies. Yeah. He catches, he gets, he gets the bag. Yeah. Which is the same you know, kind of, same kind of like, I mean, the Tim Burton's Batman, of course, tying Joker into being the, the, the murderer of his parents. And... Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's more of aligned to what no one does with Batman begins in which you dispatch of the primary, you know, evildoer, if you will. And then it's just about him being angry in general. You know, he, the guy that killed his uncle or killed his parents, he's dead and he's still angry. He's still guilt ridden. And now what the heck do I do? Um, I think and, you, you know, you're speaking to that to that kind of theme. I'm speaking to just yeah. like as the um, the just departure from the comics, I guess. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. And, you know, again, you know, the, 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 the ending of this film is kind of a cliffhanger. There are things that can, you know, places it could go in the inevitable sequel. But it's a pretty self-contained picture. I mean, if there was no, you know, if this film only made 120 million bucks and there was never a Spider-Man 2, this film would be fine. 
There's no giant unanswered questions or unresolved plot threads. Something that always uh, kind of bugged me about this whole the, the logic behind the sequence is that I never felt like the film set me up to be surprised that this was the same robber that he let escape, even though Peter seems to be shocked by this fact. Uh, well, I mean, it's completely random. I mean, I mean, he would be surprised. I mean, you know, but we watch movies. We, you I, know, we yeah, know, I, yeah. but if, I mean, it, it feels there's just like there's no tension involved in Fair him, see, him revealing him to be the same, the, the very same robber that he let us. You're right. The, the film doesn't feel the surprise. You know, you're absolutely right about that. Um, Do we consider that murder? No, we don't, because he tripped, right? That's, yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter, yeah. Peter, didn't, Peter didn't kill him. <laughs> no, and that's, you know, that's fine. He shouldn't be a murder. You know, yeah. uh, I, I read a number of people's like, oh, you know, the movie wussied out because he didn't murder the guy. It's like, it's Spider-Man. He's not supposed to kill people. He's a teenager. <laughs> you're the ones that whined, you know, 10 years ago that Batman killed people in the Burton films. He's got a science test tomorrow. He can't be killing people. Exactly. Um, and this is, you know, a great realistic human scene. Uh, and it's kind of horrible that, you know, the police, he had to tell his aunt, where were the police? Yeah, really? Presumably no one even gave him a ride home. He just kind of like, well, although he he did technically leave the scene of a crime by just leaving his own. Well, and yes, you know, theoretically he had been in the skyscraper, you know, in the building for a while. But you think during that time when he was off crying on the roof, the police would have come and notified her. That would have been the nice thing to do. Um, and have his AARP card on him so they weren't able to contact. <laughs> um, one of the things I like about this whole series is there's a number of scenes, very powerful dramatic scenes, in which major characters tell other major characters very bad news. <laughs> and you get, you get to watch the other characters' reaction. You know, the scene that we just saw or in the second film where he finally just tells Aunt May about what happened to Uncle Ben. And and that's what that's one of the best scenes in, in Spider-Man, too. Um, I love this shot coming up right here. Well, first of all, yay, on-screen murder. Uh, and then he kills like a dozen people right yeah. here. <laughs> and I love this. That transition's movie. hilarious that's to me every awesome. time I see it. Um, I love that this film takes place over a long period of time. It takes place over about a year. You know, give or take nine months or so. You know, he goes from you know a senior in college to a high school graduate to a college student. Senior in high school. Uh, yes, and and I love this scene. You know, he's he's he obviously loves his son. You know, he's giving him a compliment that's not the least bit backhanded, and there's a genuine respect there. Uh, and you know, it, anyway, I'm James Franco's good I, in this uh, movie. Ever, I think everybody is good in this. I, I'd agree with that. James Franco, I think, goes underrated. So I think he, like, he's doing a lot just by kind of being a presence in this film and the 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 way he kind of navigates the relationship between him and his father and him and Peter. And there's a lot, there's a lot to like, even like right here, like him just emoting. Like there's 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 more to be said for James Franco than I think people. Well, give. I think yeah, you know, do, this was before his... James Franco. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go, no, no, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, this is before James Franco became, you know, James Franco as we know now, you know, after having seen Renaissance a bunch man. Of movies in a bunch of different roles. Right, and before he got 12 degrees and wrote his 20 books and what have you. Yeah. Uh, I, I just marvel at how young he looks in this, but I agree, he's very, for a supporting role, he really brings it. You know? um, I think one of the reasons why James Franco doesn't get the credit that he should in this film is because he's unfortunately saddled with a lot of very silly material in the sequels. Yeah, yeah. And we remember his terrible drunk scenes in Spider-Man 2 and his 
you know, very silly moments at the end of Spider-Man three. Two, two is his, you know, two is his low point where it's pretty, yeah. like there's, cause he's just against Spider-Man the whole time. And yeah. there's, there's even, there's like scenes where, where, where it's like, he, he embarrassed me by touching me. That kind of, those kind yeah. of lines where it's, um, and it, it's, it, the, the films do not, you know, the material that he's forced to play doesn't help him. I love this scene just cause it's a, again, it's a great dramatic scene. You know, if this, you know, it's, 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 it's as poignant and real and ground level honest as anything in the Dark Knight. You know, the, you it's know. I haven't watched this movie in a while, and it's kind of it it's kind of reawakening to how how good Spider the first this first Spider Man film is compared compared to the third one, which I would I would at times kind of compare similarly to just in terms of various reasons for different reasons, but I mean this movie is quite good in terms of yeah, it is the the character drama aspect. I really admire what Raimi and company were able to kind of bring to a big blockbuster film like spider-man um but there, I, three didn't three have like venom shoehorned by the studio at the last minute yeah or something there, like there that? is plenty i can okay. there's plenty i can talk about for spider-man 3 in regards to why that movie oh, could yeah, be I mean, that, it, there's it has so much potential that if it was two films it'd be better that's where i'm kind of at yes. if it was there's a clear breaking point for that film and if both if that was two films and both of them were fleshed out way more it could have been an epic ending to the spider-man series or something but yeah that's that's enough. the evil peter the evil peter parker dance sequence alone wouldn't merit like a good half hour of discussion but um <laughs> yeah I, I i agree it was too much shoehorned in one thing yeah. um, i i like spider-man 3 more than most people just because i admire its kitchen sink excess which is yeah which is somewhere that i land and, as well yeah yeah and i think the action scenes are just Astounding. They're, yeah, they're dynamite. In that. I, I mean, mean the, the, as as awesome as the train scene is in Spider-Man Two, there are half a dozen action scenes that are as good, if not quite as iconic, but as good technically as that scene in Spider-Man Three. Um, and now of course there's Spider-Man showing up about fifty-five. Yes, fifty-five minutes in the picture, which is right around where Superman shows up in the director's cut. Uh, this this. You know, if you go back and watch Spider Superman the movie, it's amazing. Every origin story superhero film, to a certain every origin one, is basically a remake of Superman the movie. Oh yeah, it's a template. And most sequels are either a remake of Superman two or Batman Returns, because uh, you've either got the bigger, badder monster that's exactly like the hero, only evil, or you've got the one or two villains that represent something evil I could become if I fell into you know into arms way. And that pretty much is every every superhero sequel you can think of, with the exception of team things like the X Men. Yeah. Hold on for. And again, you have some pretty you know not gruesome violence or anything, but it's hard edge violence. Lucy Lawless cameo. Here we go. Xena. <laughs> <laughs> this is cute. Uh, and again, this is very it's it's. I've I've never spent any amount of time, you know long amount of time in New York, so I don't know if this is accurate. But this feels like New York the way you know New York is stereotypically thought of. And I'll let you take there, yeah. here's here's where the film begins for a lot of people. I'd say <laughs> <laughs> it was all leading up to this, right? Uh, Ted Raimi in the background, oh, and Elizabeth Banks in the very small role. Is Barbara's a protractor on his head? <laughs> that flat, I mean, a T-square or a protractor or something. I mean, that is really flat. There she is. There's Elizabeth Banks. Oh, um, I'd assume wearing a wig as well. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And again, this is exactly like Superman. You know, 55 minutes in the film, Superman shows up and we're off to the Daily Planet where he meets Lois Lane and gets a job at the Daily Planet. And now the second half of the film, so quote unquote, begins and he is plunged into the big city and he's an adult now. Um, I uh, That's obviously, that's Ted Raimi, isn't yes, it? Yes, Ted Raimi, yes. Is he still alive? Oh, yes, he is. I saw okay. I saw him the other day at the Arclight, actually. Anyway, I, <laughs> I Ted Demi's the one that died, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in a few moments, we'll see Peter Parker's camera lens erection, which always struck me as funny. I, um, I like uh, Robbie here, who's maybe because Radio Raheem plays him, and I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> Radio Raheem's do the right thing. A much different character yes. than the sweet-natured Robbie <laughs> that works at the Daily Bugle. A bit. Um, and I, and this isn't fair to the movie, I, I wasn't as huge of a fan of J.J. Jameson, of, of J.K. Simmons as a lot of people, just because he was such a cartoon. And, again, this isn't really the film's fault. I had been reading Brian Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man when this came out. And that J.J. Jameson is a really three-dimensional character. You know, he, he's every bit as, as bombastic and, and obnoxious and whatever, but there's a certain depth to him. He is, there's a certain morality that I felt this film never, these films never really got across. He was, in this f- universe, he's purely a, car- a cartoon. What say you, Jim, about J.J. Jameson? Uh, it's interesting how much The Ultimates really had such an influence on the Marvel films. I see some of the influence here, too, but like you said, J. Jonah Jameson in The Ultimate Spider-Man by, uh, by Bendis and Bagley was definitely more, I mean, he was the same kind of, uh, you know, over-the-top guy, but he had motivations for being that way. You understood why he was that way, why he felt that way about Spider-Man, why he thought he was a menace and things like that, rather than just, you know, like you say, uh, Scott, with the, the, the cartoonish kind of J.K. Simmons. But I personally, I love J.K. Simmons in anything. So I really can't fault him, fault that too much. No, um, it, I, it's... Especially, especially uh, Portal 2, the video game, as Cave Johnson. That, that, is, <laughs> that is a performance you know, worthy, worthy of an award somewhere. I know Oscars don't cover it or you know, maybe uh, you know, video game awards somewhere. But, I mean, I, I love J.K. Simmons and every, I mean, Oz, Law & Order. I mean, he's been, you know, all the different things he's done. So I, I really enjoyed that in this. Oh, it, it's, I don't think it's his fault. I think you know, he, did, he did what was written on the page. I just wish that David Cope or, you know, any in any of the sequels, really, would just give one scene where J.J. Jamison, you know, does something, you know, he gets a scene of depth to show that this guy is a flesh-and-blood human being and that his bravado is, to a certain extent, a bluff. Well, I mean, to it, it's not completely delved into, but in Spider-Man 2, there is a him kind of regretting the, la- the lack of Spider-Man only to completely revert it's back. A, it's, it's, it's a silly moment. It is a silly moment, but... It's kind of, I mean, in the in the scope of these films. It, it, there's a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like I love their apartment that they afford, but I guess it's Harry's. Well, he, Harry's paying it's for Harry's. it. Which is another thing, you know, in Spider-Man Two, you know, we Peter's so poor, Peter's so poor. At no point did I believe that Harry Osborn would not help him out. Well, he'd be, whether he'd he, say no. Though. I mean, well, again, I I. I had a tough time believing that he wouldn't be the kind of guy that would sneak in groceries while he wasn't looking. Harry, he would, well, Harry became so self so obsessed with Spider-Man, though. <laughs> but he was still he was still Peter's friend. He was still Aunt May's friend. Uh, anyway, this is Spider-Man One. Back to Spider-Man hey. One. Who, who, who um, purchased the oil painting that's on the back? There's a lot of art in this apartment. <laughs> there's there's like God, he looks so young. He does. Like it's like his guy's whole life ahead of him. Well, maybe half of it. Um, 
But no, I, I again, this is a wonderful character scene where Norman Osborn is is completely on board, above board. You know, there's no ha 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 in the background. He is a good man. He is a decent father, and it's it's you know part of it. It's rare to see relatively interesting father son relationships, especially in genre movies like this. Usually, it's the father works too much and the son resents him. Blah blah blah. And there's a little bit of that in the opening scene, but you can tell that they're both trying to relate to each other. Whack, another pistol whip. Uh, if I thought about it, I would have done a drinking game for every pistol whipping. <laughs> Try to think of good um, father-son relationships in other comic book movies. I guess um, Batman. Well, you got, uh, you got Alfred and uh, Bruce Wayne in the Nolan Batman films, of course. I would say even in the Burton yeah. Schumacher ones. But yeah, fair enough. Yeah, Alfred in general, I guess, is a good... Yeah. Um... <laughs> And now then you got Pac in, uh, in the Superman the movie. Uh, again, I really, I, I hold Superman the movie is like the template where I, I judge all of the superhero films. I just feel like that, like you said, that's really you know the one that set the bar and set the tone and set the standard. So I mean, you know, and I, I, when you when you compare this to that, I really hadn't seen them as parallel as they are. But now that you bring that out, I really am seeing a lot of the the. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this and and Captain America—they're almost remakes. Uh, I mean, it's not—it's not fair, but you know, it's in terms of the template and the the, the story progression and the act breaks. They're almost—they're almost remakes. I'll, I'll raise two more in terms of father superhero relationships. What? Well, first thing, when I literally when I watched uh, Superman the movie and Pa Kent has like he has a heart attack or whatever. That like got me the first time I like really watched that movie and I was like, oh my god, he's gonna, he's gonna die. That's so sad. And like even he's shocked because he says like he says like oh no, like he's that's like his last thing he says. And then yeah. he dies. It's like it's incredibly sad. But also uh, Blade and Whistler, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> of course of course Nick Nolte and Eric Bana and Hulk. All right, so uh, that's not that's not a positive. Relationship. I know. I know. <laughs> and here here we go. It's Peter. It's Peter's uh, photo lens erection coming up here. Oh. He likes Elizabeth Banks. I love this um, slide right here. I'm a report. I'm a, I'm a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> she looks hey. right at it. <laughs> I couldn't have been the only one that noticed that. Nope. Um, nope. Good. Um, <laughs> I split pan, by the way. Go across the buildings, yes. ground level. <laughs> and one of the things, actually, I, I one of the things I do like about this this arc is you know he you know he gets screwed over he becomes a green goblin and as soon as this happens bam he just goes and kills these people because that's what he wants to do he's not going to mess around he's not going to set traps he's not going to leave riddles he just shows up and blows them all up and then goes about his business and if not for spider-man's interference he probably would have retired i'm just watching this is space collapse yeah 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 and this guy with his coffee Did any of you guys play the Spider-Man game for this film? Uh, for yes, for GameCube. Jim. Uh, I played the PlayStation One version of the Spider-Man and then Spider-Man Two on Xbox, the original Xbox. Okay. I, was... uh, I haven't played it really since then. Okay, I'm specifically thinking of the game for this movie that came out, and yes, okay, I I recall that because I for some reason I always seem to buy the Spider-Man games, and I'm very tempted to go out and buy the Amazing Spider-Man game right now, but for good reason because they're generally fun. This game, I remember specifically because um, Bruce Campbell did the narration for the training sequences, That's which was amazing. <laughs> he's, he's like, he does like wise ass comments throughout the thing, which is just utterly fun to watch. But yeah, the game was kind of like, eh. I mean, you're, you're shooting webs wherever you want to, which is why Spider-Man 2, the game worked out well, because you actually had pivot points for the webs that you're shooting. 
I really liked Spider-Man 2 because it took the Grand Theft Auto approach and gave you like a big wide open New York City to uh, swing around and, and, and you know foil uh, random crimes as they occurred. Yeah, it brought that. It brought the you. It, it made you feel like Spider-Man. That was the best thing about the Spider-Man game, regardless of the flaws that it has, and certainly it's dated now. But you want you play that game the first time and you're like, regardless of repetitive missions and what have you, and this is not a video game commentary, but the game made you feel like Spider-Man, which is something few superhero like movie tie-in games did up until that point you know what's interesting when this film came out there were a lot of people that were a little annoyed at that macy gray cameo because they thought it would date the film mm-hmm. and i have to say 10 years later if you don't know who that is this, this film is just as timeless as any of the others yeah, really. you know there's very little you know cell phone usage there's to my knowledge no internet usage um so this this is a, i would argue as timeless a film as batman and Su- the first batman and well, and Batman Begins as well, and the first Superman. Also, uh, Harry Osborn is completely ridiculous if he thinks that his father wouldn't be impressed by how good Mary Jane looks in that <laughs> their Komodo yeah. uniform thing, which is yes, it's very unique, but like it looks good. I like it. Well, Harry Osborn's busy. Yes, yeah. or Norman Osborn's busy. Uh, he's getting changed into his own Komodo outfit. <laughs> he has to go off and fight the Power Rangers. Um. I wonder why one of these guys happens to be, needs to be in a wheelchair. I wonder why that choice was made. I would like to think he was actually in a wheelchair, and that you just gave him the role. I know, yeah. Are, so it's just like, and that's there you go. Weird. Yeah, here's all the um, the product placement. Product placement. Fair enough. I do love this sequence just because it really, you know, obviously it's it's the centerpiece sequence of the film, and it is sort of the great, you know, this is why we wanted a Spider-Man movie for you know. However, you know, 15 years before this movie came out for, for this right here, you've got the Green Goblin, Spider-Man doing battle over the streets of New York City, pumpkin carnage, bombs. explosion, you know, uh, murder, mayhem, destruction, web slinging. I mean, th- this is it right here. But the interesting thing about this scene, especially compared to the sequels, is a lot of it's real practical. There's a lot of practical action in this picture. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, 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 it is somewhat practical, but I mean, it's still... <laughs> With Spider with Spider Man Two, which is my key example for why for for the action I appreciate more than this film, it fe- it feels like like I'm really invested in these in the fights in Spider Man Two more so than I would say in 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 this film. Oh, I think the last fight scene in this film is the last the last fight scene. Yes, yeah, the yeah. last fight scene for sure. But like that's, the, that's the, brutal. I think, um, but I think like the the train sequence. Yeah, there are other action sequences yeah. that are oh, on yeah. the same level, but I really there's there's emotional stakes in that sequence. I think oh, yeah. that really and I think the and, train sequence is the best pure action sequence in a comic book film period. It's like it's fantastic, and it, God, I, I love this moment right here. Yeah, I love that's this. a great Superman moment. And obviously, it's an homage, <laughs> but you know what's pathetic? Four years later, Superman Returns comes out. They do the same bit. It's not half as impactful as Spider-Man ripping it off. That's yeah, because I'm so depressed after watching the movie for the. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. <laughs> And no wasting time. I'm just going to kill these people. Pumpkin bombs. Awesome. That obviously is exactly like 9-11. Yeah. I can understand why people were upset because a, a guy in a pumpkin outfit throwing bombs exactly like Osama bin Laden. Yep, I understand that now. <laughs> random girl. It's Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Raimi has an issue with having random yep. bystanders that overact. Yep. <laughs> in all three of these films. Why is, why, is, why is the Green Power Ranger so mad? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's yeah the whole yeah random bystanders thing. That's like Sam Raimi's like screwball comedy. Just like yeah. he loves it. He loves doing that stuff. And that's but it's all it's awful. It, I hate it. Uh, yeah, I, um, there's something no, I I I don't mind it at, really, at, like especially in um, three where it really comes. Well, okay, I mind it more in three, but, well, yeah, it, but it, 
it never it doesn't feel out of place to me when I You're right. It feels less out of place because the whole movie is kind of larger than life. Uh, just, again, this is basically, you know, wire work and actual fighting. Yeah. And yeah, it's a little small scale compared to the, the next the sequels. Um and yes, the Green Goblin's kind of a I mean It's this costume's terrible. Yeah, it's the costume. I I've I've said, you know, I said this a while ago. The best thing about Spider-Man, in my opinion, is William Dafoe out of costume. Yeah. And probably the worst thing about Spider-Man is William Dafoe in costume. You gotta say Willem. It bugs me every time. I'm so sorry. What I say? You say Will. Well, you say William. Like it sounds like you. Oh no, no! I'm trying to say Willem. I, I really it, am. Well, yeah. It sounds like you're trying to say Willem. It like there's that slight hint of William. Uh, every time I hear it. It's hard. It's not natural. I like that where he just plows him in. Oh yeah. <laughs> Again, this brutal, brutal fight scenes in this film. Um. I mean, you know, it, it's again, it was nice after the reaction of Batman Returns, which led to the no harm, no foul kind of violence in the Schumacher Batman films and a lot of other mass market PG-13 films to have an action film that looked like, well, it hurt. Well, it, and from what I was told, he actually had to cut a little of the violence to get a PG-13 in the first place. Yeah, especially in the late, the later action sequence. Yes, so, in the, the finale. We got to do, well, we, we got to do a Batman Forever comic, which we actually plan to do. <laughs> we got to be on that one with us because that's what that I want to do. Uh, I, if I can, I would love to join that. Yeah. Uh, Zaboing. And this is this is neat, and again, this is this is you know, its flaws you know as an action scene. It's just again, this is this is what you this is the reason why a Spider-Man movie exists for this scene right here. This is and again, this this upcoming part right here maybe is my favorite moment of Toby Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, where he like this leading up to him landing, leading up to him saying just you know who I am, your family neighborhood Spider-Man, and then he jumps off and he goes wahoo! Like he just yeah. he, that's where that's the most I think he embodies the character of Spider-Man right there. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have killed him to take her, leave her closer to the parade. Yeah, it could have helped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, and he also disrupted these people who were having a ten. Yes. Pro he probably just proposed to her, but, you know, let's. <laughs> right here, he just. Her hair looks really good from almost dying there on an exploding balcony, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And she looks pretty good for, you know, almost dying. Yes. And right there, he just like swings off, and he's like, he's just super excited about the idea. He saved the he saved the dream girl, regardless of yeah, he, he saved her. the girl. He saved the day, and you know, it's it's a great moment. Sure, he has to deal with the death of the people that he just witnessed from the Queen Cup, wow. but he probably has amazing pictures. Yeah, <laughs> would you think he'd sell to any other paper other than the Bugle? Another problem I have with Spider Man too. Any other paper? Um. This is just so sad. But then you get that Peter Parker smirk in the background. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Don't let the bed but ring tone. <laughs> did you okay, here's a question. Uh, did you guys ever see the the actual trailer for the the original teaser trailer for Spider Man which had the, the trade centers, the World Trade Center? Oh, yes. I, I mean, yes. I mean, in theaters, like I never actually saw. Yes. It. Okay. Uh, in theaters, I don't remember. Jim. Uh. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I trying to remember. I, I remember seeing the theater, but I'm trying to remember what movie I saw it before. Uh, um, my. Something that Sony put out in summer 2001. Uh. Hmm. Whatever. I yeah, uh, I never. Because I never did. I only saw it on YouTube afterwards, after the fact. But I remember hearing it described to me, and it's like, that sounds amazing. And this was before 9-11 happened. And then that happened, and then I remember reading about it after it got taken out. I was like, oh, no, I'm never going to see that action sequence. So, like, that sounded like a really clever idea. 
I do love that line just because it's such an iconic, you know, hero line. Which line? You know, who is that? I don't know, but somebody's got to stop it. Yeah. And this is this is just an awesome scene. Oh, the golem scene. Oh yeah. I guess it is kind of a golem scene, but it works. Who cares? Does it wait? Does, uh, hold on. Let's see. Does this predate two towers? Uh, six months. This predates two yes, towers. Yeah. So it's by about six months, seven months. Okay. Although I mean, we you know Jekyll Hyde, so it's the same, <laughs> yeah, it's the same logic. And you know, it's got all the mask lying around his house. Yeah. Right. Which of course comes into play later. That was actually um, I did really enjoy. Yeah, I did. I mean, obviously, I didn't care for the costume, but I did really enjoy the um, Willem Dafoe performance. And I, yeah, I really, I, I really like this dual persona that he creates and how it how it factors into the film like I'll, like this right here this is like amazing Willem Dafoe work like this yeah that's just a credit to how great of an actor he is uh, he, he is lucky that all eight nine members of the Oscorp board were all standing on the same balcony at the same time you know none of them had gone to the bathroom where to get a drink <laughs> also he's lucky that it didn't occur to anyone that on a day, on a parade that William or Norman Osborne was supposed to be at, he wasn't at, and the entire board gets murdered. Was he supposed to be at it? I mean, you they, think he would? They just voted and, him off, though. I mean, they'd probably be. And, they'd probably think it'd be kind every, of awkward. Which everybody knew since it was in the paper that he was about to lose control of his company. So he probably would. I wouldn't expect the person like that to show up at the, the giant parade for everyone to look at me and think Bill <laughs> think. Poor. I, I I still think he would have married. It is a pretty chicken. suspicious, though. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I mean, you just have to go Scooby-Doo logic. No one really guesses the obvious candidate. <laughs> he may be the only person in town that happens to own the abandoned amusement park, but he's probably not the guy, right? <laughs> uh, I'm just enjoying this. Excuse me. Yeah, here we go. Fine. Daily Bugle. I can move that myself. <laughs> The big, tu- the big tub of Rolaids on his desk. I like that. Oh, you know what? I, 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 I stand corrected. There's a, there's a moment coming up where Jay Jamison does exhibit a certain humanity. Yeah, when he, yeah, he when... lies about Peter Parker. Agre- yes, agreed. That that that's uh, a, that's, I, a, that's I, a key sequence right there. Where yes. he, he he just clearly just he wants to protect this this kid. Yeah, he pro- he protects his 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 photographer. He won't give up his source even when there's a good chance that this guy's gonna kill him. That makes no sense, since he threw the cigar down. No, 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 no. He, he was clearly Green, nope. Green Goblin was waiting for J. Jonah Jameson to finish his conversation, and just <laughs> hovering right below. No one was noticing this, and then he, then he, then he threw it back <laughs> up, and then hovered up and burst through the building. Um, why is there a fire? He just burst through a window. He, Unless it was just the engines, I guess. He likes to make an entrance. And you can see his face. That's actually interesting. I think this is the only one of the. It's, you, you, that's, it always struck me as odd when you can see his mouth. You can see it in the other scenes too. Uh, yeah, the, he's talking to him. This, this Blu-ray helps, but the, you can see it in the, yeah. the earlier fight sequence as well. In bits, you don't really get that focus on it, but it's it's there. Like, God, this costume! I just hate this costume so much. It's. Like, I mean, I, I understand the idea that they didn't want a situation where the guy would duck behind an alley, throw on a, you know, a form-fitting latex costume, that, you know, a mask that would take you know, a gajillion dollars to make and format, but still it looks dumb. Yeah, and here's the scene that would play much better if neither character is wearing a mask, but yes. because it does, I think it takes away from what Drew Green Goblin was trying to communicate in the scene. I, I remember seeing the first 
photos of the Green Goblin mask in the costume that got leaked out before the film uh, by, I don't know, maybe three or four months. And I was just like, oh, well, they got to be doing CGI over that or something, or <laughs> that can't be the real Green, costume, Green Goblin costume they're going with. I mean, it just can't be, right? But unfortunately... Here and does anyone is. does anyone knows that this is basically the same speech the Joker gives Batman in the Dark Knight? Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> um, that said, arguably that, it's more effective there. It, but... it is because I'm not concerned about what Joker's yes. plan is here. I'm like, well, what does Green Goblin really want to do? I like I, he just wants to be. Yeah, he just wants to already... be evil. Like yeah. he wants Spider for whatever reason he wants Spider Man to be evil with him. He could just. Well, do I, I think it's it's a screenwriting trap that they wrote themselves into. You know, good for the movie for having him go after you know killing who he needs to kill right away without messing around. But it leaves the Green Goblin without an objective. The third act of the picture. Exactly, which is why I like the first half of this film more than the second half. Which is, I mean, I think that's. I think I think everyone would agree with that beyond the maybe some of the action sequences, how effective they are. It just yeah. kind of th- there's nowhere for this movie to go based on how they've set it up from here. Well, yeah, but the, the super the crime plot is floundering. I think the rest. Oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. For the, yeah, for the rest no, of the characters. Yes, there are places. Yeah. You know, from, from a we have a lead villain, but he doesn't really have a goal in mind beyond just being yeah. a dick. Like it's. <laughs> um. I wish that's what he said too. Yeah, I'm just gonna be a dick. Like that's like, <laughs> he just lays it out in a mission statement. Dear people of New York, I'm Green Goblin. I'm just gonna be a dick. Oh, here we go. Here, here comes the, here comes the fun with Mary Jane. Uh, I, I, I'll, you know, I want to get ahead of this because I know you'll have something to say during the actual rain scene. But I, I, I love this. this. Is basically the second Sam Raimi movie in a row, and he may have done this in other films where he gives you nudity that you want, but gives it in a really unpleasant fashion. You know, in The Gift, it's like, oh, wow, you get to see, you know, Katie Holmes' breast. You get to see Katie Holmes' breast. Yes, when she's being dragged by a hook, her dead body's being dragged out of a river, you get to see her breast. That's awesome. And in this film, oh, wow, you get to see Mary, you know, Kirsten Dunn's wet T-shirt, blah, blah, blah. Yes, while she's being raped in an alley by thugs. Yeah, you know, and it, we could go that, way back to Sam Raimi's first film with Evil Dead and take talk about the nudity there and why that's occurring <laughs> And there's actually a lot of, you know, comparatively, there's a lot of guiltless male flesh in this film. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of shirtless men without the the disconcerting context that, for example, the the Mary Jane scene coming up actually asks. You don't remember the, the great Willem Dafoe nipple controversy of 2002? <laughs> I, I must have slept through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, you know, even though this is, you know, a very, you know, quote unquote, a light family friendly movie, et cetera, et cetera. This is a city where she's just walking down any alley and she's about to get raped. You know, she's not going to get mugged. She's going to get raped and probably murdered. Yep. Uh, again, it's another thing. with movie, you know, And, you know, if if he's not there, she's a goner just because they happen to notice that she's kind of cute. And now they're going to have their way. And again, I I. I that's certainly more disturbing than any of the random violence in any of the Nolan Batman pictures. There's not a lot of random violence in the Nolan Batman pictures. There's no, yeah, uh, there's you, no real chance for it. <laughs> he kind of gets, gets into things pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a moment toward the end of the big the, the chase scene where Joker is randomly firing a machine gun that hits a couple cars in the Dark Knight. But other than that, most of the people that are killed in the Dark Knight and Batman Begins are mobsters and bad guys and what have you. Um, All I, part of the plan. Ah, ah, ooh, that's good. Um, I love this sequence. Uh, it's it's moody. It's atmospheric. Again, it's it's just a good brawl. 
Agreed. It's it's. I like the lighting. The lighting in this is great yeah. too. With the flashes, yeah. and it feels it feels like a comic book. It feels like you see. Yeah. It feels like you're seeing bat like '60s Batman. Boom, bam, biff, pow, like going out going on in live action form. Yeah, but it, you know the the rain and the darkness adds to the atmosphere. It's a terrific action sequence, and, and it. I, I do like that he has his mask off, which seems more like a practical reason. Like he probably yes. just wanted to be able to see the bad guys he was about to fight, opposed to having this stuffy mask on and ruining his depth perception. And once again, here is Mary Jane, uh, cheating on her boyfriend again. Yeah, really. Yeah, she really, really gets into the spirit of the moment here. It's like he just saved me yeah. from being raped, so obviously I need to like take, <laughs> need to give you this. Uh, we can make blowjob reference here of how this plays out, but she, she wants to give him some satisfaction. Much. I mean, it, I mean, the way it's framed is, some people want to think of this as a romantic, iconic kiss sequence, but uh, there's some other subtext going on. Well, I, I think that's why it's it's iconic because there's a certain R-rated undertone in this, you know, seemingly romantic moment. And I've definitely Andy Samberg. Andy Samberg ruined this scene for me uh, when Kirsten Dunst was on uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, he hang, hung upside down while she was doing her monologue uh, dressed as Spider-Man, actually more like in Spider-Man Under Ruse, uh, and, and wanted to, to try to replicate the scene. It was hilarious. But... <laughs> kind of ruin this iconic moment of the scene for me. And I, I like that she smiles after that. You know, it's, she's actually happy. It's a certain, you know, yeah, yeah I just kissed the superhero. I think she, very, she, pract- she practically realizes she's had, like, a defining moment of her life. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I don't remember what scene's coming up next. This should be the, oh, fire, oh. the fire sequence here. Yes, yes. Um, Which... It's a small moment. It's not particularly acted very well, but I like that they show the policemen being heroes by virtue of letting him go. You know, that they're putting the safety of, you know, again, save the, save the good guys, catch the bad guys later. Um, and I remember I read at least one editorial that was actually upset with this scene that somehow it made, you know, New York City policemen and firemen look bad, which I think is a load of crap. Um, I was always, I don't want to say touched because it wasn't that big of a deal. But again, I, I, I like this scene. I like that it it, it, it shows the inherent humanity of, of you know, the real-life rescue people. Um, I'm, trying to, eh. I'm trying to narrow down which films could have come out that have the Spider-Man teaser in it. And so far, the only thing I see is America's Sweethearts, which was July of 2001. That's a, That sounds about right. That seems like that could be a plausible film that a Spider-Man teaser could have been in. As yeah. far as a, a Sony release, I mean, it could have been with other releases as well, other studios as well. That baby is probably twelve years old now. <laughs> Maybe the animal. <laughs> I didn't see the animal or a Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale would be a logical one. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't remember. We probably. I bet you, if you look it up on Wikipedia, I might tell you which movie it premiered. With. I tried to. I, I couldn't find oh, okay. it. But then what I don't like is they have this great moment where he sends them up there and it turns out to be a false alarm. He's not it was a trap basically. Yeah, like and and you, you think like you have to wonder what the what the firemen and the people are thinking double is like what happened to Spider-Man and those children? <laughs> yeah. This is a you know, Although it, it does it does flash cut to the next sequence. So, you know, maybe Spider-Man did just go he's like, "Guys, I'm sorry. It what there was no kids up there. It was Green Go it was Green Goblin. You know, you, you read the memo. He's just being a dick." Like that's it's it's a famous missing scene on par with so did batman just leave the joker with all of his friends up in the wayne bent house yeah joker left (laughs) he was like oh okay i threw the girl yeah he he shot like one other guy he's like you want actually i don't think 
I don't think he killed anybody in that. No, scene. I know. I'm just ma- I'm making up. I'm doing fan fiction. You know, he, he just fair enough. He, he, He's holding a thermal detonator. <laughs> <laughs> Where does he get all those wonderful toys? This is a trailer shot right here. Yep. Which, which I remember then seeing in Daredevil, which like up the ante by having more things fly at him in slow motion. Uh. Just think how much better Daredevil would have been if this movie was a little bit less successful. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, as you, I'm sure you guys know, you know, Daredevil ended up getting a lot more money for unrealistic special effects after this movie made as much as it did. And it went from a very street-level R-rated crime drama to what it is now. Right, yeah, I, I'm very aware of this, and I yeah. I do like that director's cut, but it does have those, do. it does have those problems of, yep, we're on wires now. Wow. <laughs> like, what a great scene this is. This whole shit. This one, I, I, I love that he hits on Aunt May. I remember seeing, because I saw, I remember seeing the, the, like the theatrical trailer for Spider-Man for the first time, like this, whatever trailer, this scene's featured in where you, have, yes. where you have him the go in. Trailer. And I remember like ecstatically going home to tell my father about what I saw with this. It's like, Spider-Man was in the room and he like jumped up and hid from the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin looked up and then Spider-Man was gone, but the blood was there. He's like, what? And I was just like really like super ecstatic. About, like, this is happening. There's a Spider-Man movie coming out. <laughs> Do you think anyone's that excited for the Amazing Spider-Man? I like to, I like to be, but I like, I like to yeah. think that there are kids that are excited for the Amazing Spider-Man. I'd like to, you know, it's one of the reasons I defend the Star Wars prequels because I'd like to think that there are kids that feel the same way about the Star Wars prequels as we did about the originals. But oh well, I know those, I know some of those. Oh, there kids. are. There's a whole yeah. generation of kids. That's what Star Wars means to them. Yeah, is you know, know, prequels it, in the Clone Wars cartoons. You know. Oh yeah, and that's you know, I. I you know, I wrote a big defense of Phantom Menace a few months ago, and you know, you know, people our age whine about George Lucas raping their childhood, but for the next generation, that was their childhood. And if someone rapes your childhood, that just means you had a really bad childhood. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand that phrase really that much. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really crude, and you know, yeah, it's it is. whatever. Yeah. I don't approve of it, but I, I like that this is like the classic date because David Kep wrote Mission Impossible, right? I believe. Yes. Right. right. This is the classic like. Let's just add the tension by here's a little here's a little drop of something like there's sweat in Mission Impossible there's blood in this film <laughs> he like he likes these little tension moments I guess. Boom, boom. Looks nothing like blood by the way I don't know what that's supposed to be but it's 1970s blood. Okay. <laughs> He's so suspicious, of Peter Parker. <laughs> Why would he be suspicious? <laughs> he has no reason. He has no reason to suspect that his. You know, his best, his son's best friend, you know, who basically works as a freelance photographer. Oh, he, he must be Spider-Man. Oh, I missed that line, too, where Will Defoe says, work was murder. That that, oh, that yeah, always yeah. makes me laugh a little. <laughs> um. Yeah, let's go to Peter Parker and Harry Osborne's, like, rundown crappy apartment at <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner and not, like, the mansion that normally yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I love how, you know, Osborne... Immediately jumps it. I love this bit right here. <laughs> then he eats it anyway. That's the best where he like rubs it in. <laughs> Is there like a deleted scene oh, where they have sex? Uh, the, the, yeah, the, te- the sexual tension is killing me between these. Oh, things. yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> as a chef, that is a totally food styled uh, turkey. There's no way that would be truly edible. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that he jumps to the conclusion of, hey, he's bleeding on his arm. He must be Spider-Man. 
Because there's no possible way he could have gotten that cut any other way. Any other, other way. Spider-Man. But it's not even like it adds like particularly a ridges like oh that feel like come from one of my pumpkin balls. Especially because it's a straight cut. Because it's like it's and it's Peter Parker. Well, I mean maybe I mean if you we we could de- go deeper into the analysis of how Harry Osborn figures out or Norman Osborn figures out that he's Spider-Man, but he has like no reason to suspect Peter Parker at all, no, given God. the 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 sheer loving care that he's like given this this character who's like the best friend yeah. to his son and he's like generally just jumps to this horrific conclusion and he's the person he's been battling however he has heard him talk i mean they have similar voices that's true <laughs> he makes no effort to disguise his voice he doesn't put on the spider-man voice which i would assume sounds like the batman voice <laughs> lighter. hopefully a little lighter <laughs> Friendly narrows, but i don't know how to do it <laughs> Uh, nice. <laughs> I have to go against the Irish jig at a murder scene across town in a totally different movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I, what, what else came out that year? Well, it'd be Boondocks. It's, just, oh, it's around right. this time. I, I've never seen that. It's a Boondocks I mean, I know, reference. I know it's horrible history, but I've never actually seen the movie. Huh. He's, I'd be curious. One of these days. I'd be curious as to what you think about Boondocks. Oh. And knowing it as a relic of, of I guess it's 1999, 2000. Something, something like yeah. that, yeah. Uh, what a horrible Thanksgiving. So are we going with Norman's a misogynist now? Is that, or is he just too preoccupied with his anger towards whatever? He's uh, both. Both. I, I think, you know, if it was up to him, he would, you know, have a menage a trois with Aunt May and Mary Jane. You know, and they could make terms being on top. This is probably the most effective use of the Green Goblin mask in the movie. Well, yeah, because he's not wearing it. Yeah, exactly. And it looks <laughs> it, it, it looks more menacing with empty eyes than it does with yes. him in it. it. It's better as a symbol than it is, you know, actually in practice. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's good that they find a way for Spider-Man to get half of his mask ripped off at the end. And I, I wish he had taken off his mask a little earlier. Uh, Osborne. Yeah. Uh, Will Will M. Defoe. Did I get it right? Yeah. Willem. Yes. Willem. Yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see. Nah, I got nothing. This is a goofy scene. I mean, he. he yeah. What? Does, you know, he doesn't kill her. Yeah. He seemingly makes no effort to kill no, her. No, he's a dick. You should have let <laughs> yeah. me have some yams. <laughs> he's just a complete dick. He's taking his revenge. It's like for not, her not letting him eat. Because he's like, again, he's like a par- He's just like he was apparently hovering outside her door, listening to her say this prayer, and then broke in at the right moment just to make her just force her to say the end of a prayer. Enjoy your last Thanksgiving. You should have let uh, him eat. I should have. It was horrible. His mask was green and his eyes were yellow yellow eyes. eyes. I don't know what I'm suffering from exactly, but... (laughs) ah! (laughs) He knows... Yep. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Well, that'd be, you know, thought bubble comic book to be continued in two weeks. That's what that is. And to be fair, they do avoid that through most of this film. Um... And that this is a nice moment. I have no real commentary on this. Uh, Aunt May really, you know, especially after the first act of the movie, she gets almost nothing to do. Yeah. You know, she has a great speech at the 55 minute mark right before he becomes Spider-Man. And then she pretty much disappears from the movie. Uh, but she's in an this ungodly amount of... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
I'm, I'm, no big, I'm, I just wanted to mention that this whole part, this, this like last act of the film, is really lifted right from the Stanley John Romita Sr. comics as far as uh, you know the original Green Goblin figuring out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man attacking Aunt May, and then the final confrontation on the bridge where Spider-Man loses his mask and all of that stuff. I mean, that's straight from the, uh, the original John Romita comic, with the only sub- real substitution being uh, Mary Jane for Gwen Stacy. And the um, oh. have the best of both worlds of he saves the kids and he saves the girl. <laughs> and in the comics, right. he, he, he but, saved Gwen Stacy, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, happened. The comic when <laughs> dies. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> um, I'm not in this prequel. I wonder. <laughs> do, is, do you wonder why there's a reason why they chose Mary Jane instead of Gwen Stacy for this film? Well, he excuse me. He wanted to use Gwen Stacy. And he wanted to have her die in either the end of this film or the you know the middle of the next one. <clears throat> but for whatever reason, Mary Jane was the popular character and. They just went with that. And to a certain extent, it could be argued that, you know, Gwen Stacy is more of a, you know, Mary Jane is more like Gwen Stacy in this film than she is Mary Jane. Oh, she is for sure. I know. Yeah, yeah. That's no, there's no question about that. I have no, you know, and that's another thing that bugged me when I first saw Spider-Man where I was like, well, why did they use Mary Jane? And why is she the girl next door now? What? There's a perfectly good character to use for this role, but all right. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they they not only bring uh, Gwen Stacy in with the new you know Andrew Garfield film, but they also bring in her father, Captain Stacy, uh, the, the the policeman who played a pretty big role in the early Spider-Man comics. Too, yeah, for sure. On his watch, so. Which was so he's, which was incredible. It was incredibly confusing in Spider-Man Three, where they just like introduced both those characters, then did nothing with them. Yeah, I remember it being a big and, deal. It's like James Cromwell's been announced as Captain Stacy, and like he has what like two scenes and two, two lines of dialogue. He has that weird Mr. Gordon and Batman and Robin thing where he's always wearing his uniform. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and Bryce Dallas Howard was like Gwen Stacy in, Bat- in Spider-Man 3, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. But um, again, very briefly. Yeah. What a goofy speech this is. Um, <laughs> and this is another thing. I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man yet. By the time you guys all hear this, I probably will have seen it, hopefully. But... You know, the, the early reviews came out, and a lot of them were all, ooh, it's Spider-Man for the Twilight Generation. It's the emphasis on romance to get the girls. I was like, guys, have you seen the original Spider-Man? This is a romantic drama. The core relationship of this film is Mary Jane and Peter Parker. And that's one of the reasons it was popular when it first came out. It was a superhero movie that could appeal to women, if only by making the female lead a full-blown supporting character and res- giving her a token amount of respect. And giving her a character arc to play, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's not hard. You know, it's, it's not hard to get women interested in your superhero movie. You just have to not take them for granted. But anyway, end of rant. The, okay, so according to IMDb, this is, in fact, the first Marvel movie to showcase the flipping pages Marvel logo. I saw it in Blade 2. All right. IMDb is wrong. They're never wrong. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the Wikipedia of movie sites. It can't be wrong. <laughs> Um, look it up. It was oh. the first time I had remembered seeing it at any, at any rate. I, I probably didn't see Blade Two in the theater, so I saw Blade Two in the theater. I know I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible person. I know, but I probably didn't. And this is my favorite scene in the movie because it's a wonderful character scene. It gives you one last bit of sympathy for the two of them, and it doesn't need to be in the film. There's a token amount of information that William Osborne discovers, but he could have just known it offhand, you know. 
<laughs> because Aunt May says a few minutes later that everybody knows that he loves Mary Jane. But, you know, this is, you know, again, this is Norman Osborn, you know, trying to be a good person, even though at this point he's already gone over to the dark side. Um, and he's doing it in Wayne Manor. And, you know, this to me defines why this movie is good because it has scenes like this that don't need to be there except that they, you know, they deepen character. Well, that's, and that's what I argue for Spider-Man too, as well. It does have those yeah. scenes. Like it has the, it has that whole sequence where he just has chocolate cake with the, the girl next with the apartment girl. With the, I love that. And scene. that's, a, I do. and that's literally a scene where the movie just takes a breath. Like that's yeah. what that scene is. It, and it's, it's nice. It's, it's nice to have those character moments in movies like this. No, I mean, there are great things in Spider-Man too. Um, I just, I have issues with how they deal with the cliffhanger of this film. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, so be it. It's, it's a film that I don't overall care for, but there's a lot that I love in it. Do you like the ending of Spider-Man 2 better than this film? Uh, except for the whole Jay, what a happy ending. She left a guy at the altar. Well, I hate that slow motion of her like, oh, I'm running away. Yeah, and it's amazing. But I do like the, it does, it, the it's basically the graduate ending. It's the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I like that she eventually is, you know, says, hey, dummy, this is my choice whether I want to put myself in danger or not. Um, and I like the half worried face look on her face, you know, that the movie ends on, you know, it's not quite a happy ending because, you know, she's now said, I want to be with Peter Parker, but what does that really mean? It's a, it's a graduate ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. That's a funny line, even though it's just for the trailer. You want Superman, you yeah. know? Yeah. I really liked Alfred Molina in, uh, Super, in Spider-Man 2. I, I thought he, uh, he was a really good Doc Ock. I you know, like a lot of people. I... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say I know some people had problems with this portrayal or whatever. Didn't think it was close enough to the comic. Didn't think it was good enough. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought he, I thought he really brought a depth to the character that it, it sorely needed. I loved Molina in that role, and I was really happy that he was able to, you know, gain more presence in just films in general because he was able to do a big yeah. budget Spider-Man movie. But and... um, I loved him as Doctor Octavius in the first 50 minutes or so. I thought he went a little campy once he becomes Dr. Doctor Octopus. Which I think is fitting because he's Dr. Octopus. <laughs> I know, I know. But again, it's, 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 he's so human and down to earth and grounded. You know, it would be like in, you know, not to, you know, the Dark Knight. If once, he, you know, Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face, he turns into Tom Lee Jones' Two-Face. I, I felt there was enough of a contrast that it bothered me. All right. But, but, um, and we, I think we kind of, I mean, you, you do take, I know, I'm sure you know this as well, that you do fall in the minority of not appreciating Spider-Man 2 as much as I know many other people. Of course, so, of course. Okay, so I'm um, reading, just to go back to the two, the, the, to, the two Towers trailer, or sorry, the World Trade Center, that's a weird <laughs> connection, the, to the World Trade Center <laughs> teaser, it apparently premiered in August of 2001. I'm trying to narrow it down to what film. Oh, wow. Might be Hollywood's Weed, uh, Planet of the Apes? No. Oh, I saw that in theaters. I saw that in theaters, yeah. Remember when you were excited to see Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes and then you watched the movie? Well, I was only excited because I was a Tim Burton fan back then. Yeah. The movie looked completely uninteresting to me. I thought it was going to flop because I was thinking, gee, if I was not a Tim Burton fan, I would have no interest in this. And then it does $68 million, <laughs> which is the second biggest opening weekend of all time at that time. Well, this movie is almost over. Boom, she falls to her death. <laughs> the end. Nice touch that she's still in jammies. Which look amazing in the PlayStation 2 Spider-Man game, by the way. 
Now, what exactly has he been doing this whole time while she's been asleep? Is he reading a magazine? I, I, he was and, he was carefully and, and he, these, he was waiting for just the right tram that had just enough yeah, children that he could kill and, with it. You know, and these these kids have obviously been able to see him for a while, and they're really yeah, excited they about it. Yeah, yeah. Did nobody bother to I don't know call you know pick out their cell phone and call somebody for help? And uh, they're out really late for a field trip for a bunch of kids, aren't that's they? That's a really you're right. That's a late field trip. <laughs> Well, they're coming back from their field trip. They had a trip. Is too. there anything actually in that building that he just blew up, or is that just a random explosion? No, there's, no, there's probably three guys working the thing that died. Oh, good. Or death. Yay. I love this, by the way. This whole, like, he utilizes webs to make a giant slingshot for himself. That was something I always like. This is the shot that I was talking about, that this is, he's complete control of his powers right here, right he now. He knows what he's capable of, yeah. It's... And if you watch some of these extras, they some of them are not as upset about falling to their death as others. Yeah. Um... And one thing I do like about this 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 face off, you know, he says, you know, save Mary Jane or save the uh, kids. You know, he says, screw you. And then he just drops them. No big speech. He says, OK, fine. I'm going to drop both. That's things. something I like. And then that's why I'm kind of I mean, being a Spider-Man fan, I'm like, well, this is the shot. It's just awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, he drops them both. It's like, yeah, screw you, Spider-Man would go do yeah. it. But it's like, oh, well, he. Say he saves both of them. <laughs> good, good for Spider-Man. I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I was not expecting anyone, you know, either of them to die in this. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a shock. It wasn't a shocking thing, but it's like. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought there might be a chance because of what happened to Gwen Stacy in the original story. You know, I thought there the might be a chance to kill trailer, her off in the first. They movie. actually show him catching her. Yeah, yeah, the trailer kind of ruins it. They really gave. I mean, the second trailer A is awful. I mean, in terms of cutting and, and narrative and, and context, and B, it gives away the entire finale. You know, don't do it, Goblin. <laughs> hey, isn't that okay, what the Riddler said? Okay, I won't do it. <laughs> you convinced me, Spider-Man. I'm good. Want to go get a coffee? <laughs> and the adults don't seem to be too upset about that. Who's a go? Like, well, this is this is the worst field trip I've ever been I'd on. I like to think that Spider-Man planned that he could catch her and do the other thing at once, but still, he goes for the girl instead of the kids in his direction. Well, yeah. I don't, again, I like to think that he was able to pre-plan this in his mind with, with spider sense, where he's able to oh. recognize what he's physically capable of. But he goes for Mary Jane and not the kids. Um, I think that's more for because they wanted the iconic shot of him catching her. And it would have been a lot harder if he's, you know, the other hand, he's got a giant cable car in his hands. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, and this is the god-awful, grown-in-my-seat New Yorker scene. Um, maybe it was a necessary evil at the time, but I hated it then, and I still hate it. For two reasons. A, it's cheesy. B, why doesn't Goblin just kill those people? Yep. I do like that you know that the you know that they are planning the rescue. Okay, you're gonna drop them down to the boat, and we're gonna deal with this, and you go deal with the supervillain. Oh, I have to think if he lowers them far enough, if he just drops the car into the water, they won't die. But they're still pretty high. Yeah, up, he's, so he seems to be. Yeah, he's still high. He up. could kind of. Oh, I like this shot. That's a cool shot. Oh yeah, that's that's. <laughs> And it looks really good, too, in terms of the oh, effects yeah. that helps. By, by the end of this movie, the CGI is, I would, almost flawless. Yeah, I, I would, in term, yeah, for, for this time, yeah, I would agree. Uh, 
and there's close-ups. It's again the the, the the it's weird. The 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 special effects almost get better as Spider-Man becomes more confident with his powers. It's as if it was sort of a planned whatever. And here we go. Oh, that's stupid. Okay, I've I whined about this scene enough. Anyone else have any thoughts on this? Um, he does kind of just sit here and take it. He's like, I'm going to... Is that Dom from The Wire? Uh, uh, is that... <laughs> um, it, it looked like it. Uh, could be. I love it. They're, they're like complete New Yorker, too. Like, Yeah. Hey, you crumb bomb. Quit messing with Spider-Man. Hey, so what you thinking you're doing <laughs> over there? Welcome to those kids. Is what's just... <laughs> And instead of sending a pumpkin bomb on the boat and then another pumpkin bomb at the bridge and then getting Spider-Man, he just lets them go and goes after Spider-Man. Eh. Come on, man. Do we really see him kill a lot of innocent people, like people that... Uh, we see... No, that's true. Yeah, we see, he seems he's very... Okay, hold on. Let's just get... This is awesome. This is Pumpkin bombs in the face! Theoretically, he should have been turned into Two-Face at that point, but okay. Well, he's Spider-Strike. That's true. That's true. But yeah, you, God, I you, you, I love this whole fight scene. Yeah, and I really like. Here we go. Where he says, "You really piss me off." That's my that's my like my yeah. favorite line for Blown on this movie. Just his tone on it. And again, he's he's a vicious bastard. You know, in a couple minutes, he's not going to do. He's not going to just threaten to kill Mary Jane. It's implied he's going to rape the crap out of her first. Uppercut. <laughs> that always worked in Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yep. And this is, to my knowledge, all real, just, you know, fight choreography. And very Sam Raimi, too, just the way he yeah, shot yeah. it. It's, yeah. There's, there's, like, key Sam Raimi sequences in all, like, all the movies. And the, in the second one, it's obviously the Doc Ock sequence where he wakes up and all his tentacles yeah. are going after him. This is that one to me where he's, where, where he's, all these, the way these punches are being, punches and kicks are being shown and framed. And yeah, lots of close-ups. Very, yeah, tight close-ups, like, uh, very dynamic. Inside view, lot, and they're both taking way, way more punishment than a human being would be able to. I mean, just like Ash and Evil Dead. Exactly. You spun your last web, Spider-Man. <laughs> uh. Here we go, here it is. <laughs> That's a great Defoe delivery of that line. Uh, and then, like, the implied that he's going to, like, rape Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's... Yep, me and Mary Jane are going to have a hell of a time. <laughs> like... Which, again, you know, it, it's it's realistic. I know there's certain lines that you're not allowed to cross in movies like this. But come on. He's a psychopath. You know, he's going to kill her anyway. Yep. You know. Um, boom. Whoopsie. I do love this sequence. And... Well, that's the end of him. That was kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> I, I do think it's impressive, you know, more so I'd argue in the first two films, that, you know, operating under, you know, studio control of, of what became Sony's crown jewel franchise with all, you know, the first film, this film cost $130 million, which back then was probably one of the most, 10, 10 most expensive films of all time, that it feels like a Sam Raimi picture. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, Mission Impossible feels like a Brian De Palma picture. Yeah. And of course, all the Mission Impossible films became auteur pictures as a result. Yeah, that, that's something I've argued for the, that series in general. Yeah, it's, it's why I love it. 
Um, even you know everybody whines about Mission Impossible too. I mean that that's pure. It's John a John Woo. Woo. It's a spoof of John it's Woo. Almost, it's spoofing it's itself. A total John Woo movie. And he never went back to a lot of that stuff afterwards. Uh huh. I think that's the reason I want to see the, the not to get too much on a tangent here. That see that uh, la- the latest Mission Impossible movie goes uh, Protocol because of Brad Bird. You know, it's wait, been you haven't seen it. Driven. I have not seen it yet. No. Oh, you got to get on that, Jim. I got I got a list, buddy. I've got a, I've got a 15 month old though, so my my time is limited. Well, doesn't this doesn't they don't they wake up in the middle of the night? Mine does. <laughs> you have no idea how much I watched last year when my newborn when my uh, son was born. Uh, Here we go. And, this is another very Sam Raimi shot. When he, oh yeah, the whole... and again, surprisingly gruesome for what's a family friendly PG-13 film. Oh yeah. This... Um. And this is, of course, a loose variation of what happens in the comics. That's a nice final line. I could have done without that, but okay. And and it's like the O oh, or something. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's yeah, that's pure. That's pure Raimi. And ouch! <laughs> that it doesn't go like into his chest or into his heart. It goes like into his like. It goes in his crotch. His liver. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm surprised he dies that quickly. It's like both kidneys. That's that's what it takes. <laughs> Oh. Hoisted by his own petard. <laughs> he really sticks uh, with, like, his, his his final wish, too. Don't tell Harry. Like, this could have cleared up a lot of things. Yeah, which is a, another broad thing I don't like about the ending of this, but oh well. Yeah, he's like... Uh, he I, I find the, the funeral scene and all that transpires quite problematic. Uh, first of all, you know, okay for a second, he's seen Spider-Man. He thinks Spider-Man killed his father. In Spider-Man 2 and or 3... Why does nobody else care that Spider-Man apparently murdered Norman Osborn? I mean, there are no legal or political or social consequences for that. Well, Jane Jill to Jameson, you know, he... he... <laughs> well, yeah, but he never screams, you know, Spider-Man murderer. Uh, he probably did. He's probably in the off-season, he probably put those those bugle headlines up there between... And again, th- th- this is a movie that's so grim that the finale is the funeral for the villain. <laughs> that's very true that, that shouldn't be funny either but it is <laughs> the arch villain gets a funeral and it's sad well what would you think would be a preferable way to end this picture oh I don't know I'm not you know I like the fact that it ends this way I love the slide you didn't you didn't lose it you were stolen by me actually mine was too douche dumb butt my uncle was like shot in an alleyway I will swear in my father's grave Spider-Man will pay after he faces Dr. Octopus, the Vulture, Venom, Electro, uh, Mysterio, Sandman. The dad, the dad you hated, who never gave you your due, who never, uh, never loved you as much as you wanted. The dad you always wanted out of the picture, yeah. They had that one scene. Yeah. Uh, then I will have my revenge on Spider-Man in summer 2026. Uh, I'm so uh, I'm so close to finding where the Spider-Man teaser premiered. <laughs> I'm like trying to get it. <laughs> It, it premiered uh, on Ain't It Cool News in terms of what website it premiered on, but I cannot find, like, a movie that it premiered with. And, you know, this this speech makes no sense. No matter how hard I try, the ones I love will always be the ones you pay. So when did this happen? This happened when once. Did they, like, once before you started being Spider-Man. And you know what? That guy that you know you're at, he tried to murder you. And your loved ones. And your loved ones. Twice. And he did kill P.E. So he was a bad, he was a dick. He was a bad. He killed about 25 people. 
And, you know, th this whole thing doesn't make any sense. And one of the reasons I have my issues with Spider-Man 2 is the whole movie is playing on this falsehood. The idea that, that, that you know, oh, poor Peter, he can't be with Mary Jane. Well, no, yes, he can. If he hadn't made this stupid mistake and, you know, jumped to exactly the wrong conclusion, as he always seems to in these films, maybe that's just a pattern, <laughs> you know, he would have a happy ending right here. The movie would be over. And this is a sweet declaration of love. I like that. Um, and then he just rejects her for, after he after he kisses her. Yeah, he gets he, he gets he gets, the, he gets uh, in there first, but he gets there first. Um, that's so sweet. Oh, i.e., the only man that's ever treated me like a nice person. And once I get over the shock of that, I'm not going to like you anymore. Ah. Uh. I agree. I had a lot of problems with the ending of this too. It just didn't seem to make sense. And then, uh, it, uh, like you said, the sequel um, spent way too much time dealing with the aftermath. Um, and it, what it was is, is it was trying to graft the Gwen Stacy level path, you know, story onto a story where she does not die at the end. The girl does not die. So you're trying to create an equal level of tragedy for the Green Goblin dying, which is absurd on its face. Um. I don't expect this to happen, but how crazy would it be if Emma Stone died at the end of Amazing Spider-Man? Um, that would be pretty amazing that nobody's revealed that yet. It would be, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Considering that, you know, well, you know, the entire movie's basically online. Yeah. <laughs> um, loser, loser, loser. You know what it is? It's the whole... Well, well, you know, I can't be your boyfriend, but I can be your friend because being your friend is out of keeps you out of danger. Because my favorite scene in Spider-Man 2 is the one where Dr. Octavius has kidnapped Mary Jane and he makes this big speech about, aha, Spider-Man will come for you for you are his, are his girlfriend. And Mary Jane says, what? I'm not his girlfriend. We're just friends. This is after, what? This is also after the sequence where he throws a car haphazardly into a coffee yes. shop. Presumably he could have killed both of them. Yes. <laughs> and then kidnaps Mary Jane. Yeah. It's like, you know, oh, well, you're just friends? Never mind. I'm going to let you go. Here's cab fare. I mean, she gets kidnapped in every movie anyway, regardless. And, you know, there's this great line. It was actually in a Flash comic book where, where Superman showed up in, you know, The Flash for whatever reason. And he basically said, you know, once I, Clark Kent, married Lois Lane, everybody stopped going after her because she wasn't Superman's girl anymore. <laughs> so logically... You know, the opposite situation where Peter Parker is in a relationship with Lois Lane, or sorry, Mary Jane, ergo, she's no longer in danger from Spider Man's enemies. It'd probably also help if Peter Parker kept his mask on. I mean, he. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure like half of New York knows who he is by the end of the series. It seems like he's, pretty he's much. always got his mask off in some capacity. Now, you see the kiss there where she has the look. Are we supposed to imply that she knows who he is? Uh, well, I mean, she was upside down. For, he was upside down for the other one. So I think she's, she's maybe, maybe he just has bad breath. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so here's that confidence in the swinging, and it just looks yeah. great, and he's going dangerously close right, to the ground. The camera has momentum like he does. He's, I love yeah, that, exactly. that, that, that wall run. I'm pretty sure I saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt riding a bike on the bottom of the road. It was <laughs> all these things. The loop-de-loop, -loop, like, yeah, and the scores kicked in. Like, this is, a, this is a nice, like, way to end the film. And that's a wrap, gang. Kick. See you in July 2004. I wrote a paper on Spider-Man 2.
in Did college. You? Yeah, for um, just for my it was a it was a blockbuster movies class actually, which was pretty interesting. It was a pretty cool class. Wow. And um, I wrote a I wrote I wrote a paper on a yeah on on Spider-Man 2 and how it could possibly meet the success that Spider-Man 1 seen and how it did and didn't accomplish those goals. And I got an A on it. <laughs> can I read it? Um, if I can find it, sure. Cool. I titled it Does Whatever a Spider Can. Awesome. Uh, i trying to think what I wrote in, in film school. I wrote a piece on Memento. I wrote a piece on Taxi Driver. I wrote a bunch of little things. Uh, I actually wrote a piece arguing that the Dirty Harry films were actually not oh michael moore is the second assistant director I knew. <laughs> yeah sure that happened. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but that explains the scene where green goblin kills gm <laughs> um okay i have to shout out this really terrible terrible song over the closing credits. it got overplayed isn't this Nick got, the hero song yeah the hero song with chad kroger and uh that was actually one of the last times where you had a big blockbuster that had a, a pop song closely associated with it. Uh, that was sort of going out of style by the time this came out. Yeah, because Will Will Smith ran it into the ground with uh, yeah with his uh, which I didn't mind actually because those some of those songs are more memorable than the movies Wild Wild West. But um, yeah, you don't you don't see you don't see this very often anymore. Getting the the big key song that you instantly associate with the movie. Uh, you know, I, I I do miss the the eighties cheesy the cheesy 80s theme song, especially ones that are inexplicably named after the movie. Mark Andrews, like, storyboard so- artist. That's interesting. Oh, oh. Uh, Brave Pixar. Yeah, Pixar, yeah, yeah. Pixar collaborator and Brave, uh, recent Brave director Mark Andrews. Yeah, I actually I looked that up, but I didn't remember until now. I was wondering what else he had done. Um. Yeah, he's he's basically a, he's mainly a storyboard artist. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, it still holds up. Uh, I was actually, you know, I, I don't want to say I was afraid to watch it, but I haven't seen it in a really long time. And I always defend it. And there's nothing more annoying than defending a film and then watching it and realizing it wasn't that good. I'd actually say, uh, yeah, I, I think I have a little more appreciation for it now, having not watched it in quite a while. So, um, That's why, you know, my wife and I went four years without seeing Speed Racer because I, we loved it the first time we saw it. You know, I wrote a crap load about it. And then I'm like, well, what if I don't like it again? I'm going to feel really stupid. I'm going to say it right now. Speed Racer is amazing. That movie, it's awesome. That movie's so, I love Speed it's Racer. So Why good. did that get such a bad rap? I have no idea. It's still I, I was, awesome. That always mystified me. Why that got such a bad rap? Because that was such a cool movie, visually, and and just I mean, I, we, my wife and I really enjoyed it too, and we wondered why the you know the critics lambasted it so bad because we really loved that a lot. I think they were still bitter over the Matrix sequels. I guess that's my only lot. Yeah, I mean, it really is next level filmmaking. It's like so ambitious and really ways creative, and it's live action anime. It's so colorful. It's an amazing Blu-ray. It's like it's just a yeah, perfect yeah. movie, like in terms of what it tries to do and how it delivers that experience. It's so fun, <laughs> and it works on a character level. I mean, it's it's has wonderfully you know wonderful actors and great characters. Matthew Fox and uh, like Susan Sarandon and John Goodman. John Goodman's wonderful. Yeah, more like a nonjudge. hilarious. Yeah, I I I even I can make an argument for the the kids and the and the the monkey and uh, the monkey. Yeah, like it's it's they, fine. Like they serve their purpose. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean it's it's. Right. But no, we we did watch Speed Racer a couple weeks ago, and yeah. It's still fantastic. Yeah, I yeah, I love Speed Racer. Um, All right, let's. Uh, I'm glad to know that. Uh, what, Jim? What was that, what, Jim? 
I'm just saying I'm glad to know that I haven't watched it since it was out in the theater. And so yeah. I should probably. Take I was so I was happy to be able to see that in theaters because I I was really sad that it bombed so quickly and I was like ah god at least I got to see it once because I can't wait to watch it again when I own it. Yeah. All right. Uh, this uh, the thing's wrapping up here, so let's uh let's uh, okay. let's get to the old uh, sign. Actually, hold on. I said I'd do a secret phrase or something so you can win something. So let me just say something. Uh, 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 J. Jonah Jameson had a hilarious wig. Okay, so if you email that phrase that I just said to outnowpodcast at gmail.com, I'll, I'll send you something. That'll, that's great for you. You just won that. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for Out Now, Fair and Abe. You can, of course, find more of my work at my personal blog, codezeek.com, where you can find all my written reviews and uh, movie reviews for um, Blu-rays as well at ysoblue.com. You can also find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Uh, Scott? Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos, uh, Google that or go to Scott Allen Mendelssohn at blogspot.com. Uh, at Scott Mendelssohn, one word is my Twitter handle. Um, follow me on Twitter, like my Mendelssohn's Memos page on Facebook. And if you want to read my other syndicated stuff, Huffington Post and Valley Scene Magazine. Um, Jim Dietz. Uh, Legion of Dudes podcast at legionofdudes.com also the Walking Dead TV podcast we're doing uh, commentaries for some of the we're cherry picking some of the best of season 2 uh, also I've, I've become a member of the Nothing's On podcast recently uh, also on, available on the HHWLOD network so check everything out there which one's the Nothing's On podcast? it's a television podcast with Donnie Salvo and Daryl Taylor oh cool I'll, I'll check that yeah, out I've become, uh, it's a little loose alright <laughs> okay, uh, you can, of course, find all the other episodes of Out Now, Fair and Abe, the regular episodes, which cover, you know, movies in general on a weekly basis, as well as these random bonus episodes we tend to do at iTunes, as well as at hhwlod.com, which is where you can find all the other shows that Jim's a part of as well. And, of course, email us, outnowpodcast at gmail.com, like our pages, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, and uh, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow those there and get all the updates or what have you. And, uh, yeah, this is a special commentary episode for Spider-Man. I think it should probably come out maybe before The Amazing Spider-Man, maybe after. Regardless, it's, you know, we wanted to do something for Spider-Man, so I, I hastily gathered two frequent collaborators of the show together, and we all did this, and I hope you guys had a fun time. I had a wonderful time. I always, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, great. Uh, yeah, no Abe. So until next time, so long, and goodbye. <laughs>